Listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for week number three of Anniversary Month. Anniversary Month. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a tongue twister. We're just so excited here because of what we're going to cover today. Anniversary Month. uh, As we're covering the oldest movie of any anniversary this year, the 40th anniversary. Or or is it? wait, Wait, hold on a second. My math is wrong on this because we're here to cover a movie that people have been begging us for for a long time. That's Disney Pixar's Planes. <laughs> it's only the seventh anniversary of this movie. What an odd choice we made here. Uh, but I'm so excited to talk about the planes in this movie that Casper was making me watch all week. Wait a second. Airplane 40th anniversary. Oh, hold on. Give me 90 minutes. I'll be right back. And we're back here on the Oz Network to talk about the 40th anniversary of Airplane, the movie that started the trend of satires, spoofs, parodies, whatever you want to call them, um, with an all-star cast of a bunch of serious actors who never did comedy before and then never did anything serious again. From the director of Ghost <laughs> and the Naked Gun films, or soon to be the Naked Gun films, uh, we this is going to be a challenge to host this episode, because are we going to do anything but quote the movie? But it'll be exciting. My name is Colin, and I guess I picked the w- wrong week to start. <laughs> Take two. All right. <laughs> wow. My name is Colin, and I guess I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. You can tell that I stopped sniffing glue by my stumbling on my words. And my name is Ben, and that's a name that says inappropriate things and is sometimes racist and sexist, but that's not important. Oh, are there some characters that remind me of Ben in this movie? <laughs> and Noah. <laughs> and Noah. I'm not racist anymore. It's uh, old Noah. Wow, this is um, – okay, we, we talked about it a little bit last week, a movie that neither of us were that familiar with but has such a huge legacy. And I guess going back a little bit uh, to last year as we were looking at what movies we could cover for anniversary films, um, trying to look at things that were a little bit older than 20 or 30 years – you know, we don't have a lot of 1970 films. Looking at 1980, okay, we've done The Empire Strikes Back. What else is there? And I think we narrowed it down to two movies, which were um, Airplane and Caddyshack, two massive comedies considered the best comedies of all time. And uh, I don't think either of us has seen either of those movies. No. And maybe just, you know, randomly saying, oh, let's do Airplane. I think we picked the right one because, you know, I have seen both of these movies now. Uh, and I got to say, Caddyshack, I consider to be very overrated. This movie, I absolutely loved. And I actually watched it uh, maybe about six months ago or whenever it was we decided we were going to cover this. Because I'm like, OK, what do we get ourselves into here? Is this even the type of movie you can host a recap on? And I sort of watched it late at night, fell asleep through half of it. you know. But I'm like, OK, it seemed all right. Rewatched it now for the first time all the way through. I'm like, what a great comedy. <laughs> this movie's just great. Um, ben, first time you've seen this movie, any opinions? It's hilarious. Uh, I mean, I you know, saying it's the first time I've seen it, this is definitely one of those ones that if you haven't seen, you still know it. You, you know all the best bits. You always see best of clips of this movie. You know, I used to watch a lot of countdown shows in Australia. Like We had a show called 20 to 1 and they would always have, you know, top 20 greatest comedies or, you know, top 20 greatest 
spoof films and things like that and they would always show clips from this movie so you, I, I was very aware of all the hilarious moments from this and I think my dad might have been watching this one time on TV or something so I'd seen bits and pieces of it but I mean this is hilarious I, I, I'm a big fan of parody films um you know, I, I I have seen the Naked Gun movies. It's been a long time since I've seen them, though. Uh, we've talked a little bit before about Wrongfully Accused. I love that movie. Uh, I love – I've seen – well, the first two scary movies are funny. The third one was okay, and I haven't seen the other 20 that followed after those. Um, so I, I kind of like these style of movies. But, yeah, this is a granddaddy of them all, and this is hilarious. I mean, this – we should really point out, I think, right now that we are recording this in a very interesting time in human history where – Cancel culture is really taking over a lot of things that are inappropriate um, in past. And I feel this movie uh, is going to be interesting to talk about in this current climate because there's definitely some moments in this which if the people who are doing all this right now are cancelling things are probably going to go, hey, Airplane's wrong, take that off Netflix or whatever it is. But um, trust us to be able to talk about a film like this at this moment. But, yeah, hilarious. This movie is is hilarious. Holds up well, sort of, some bits. I'm completely uh, on the same page as you, is that as I watched this movie six months ago, you know, even though I clearly didn't remember as much as I thought I did, uh, and then last night or whatever leading into this, I recognize so many parts of this. And a few of the parts I remember seeing when I was a kid, because I remember my mom watching this movie. That was my only exposure. That Okay, I saw bits and pieces of it here and there when my mom watched it. And then all the things you see a million times, like as we mentioned, the don't call me Shirley or whatever else. And I think half of this movie is just known by everybody in the public. But there is such quick fire comedy in this that I feel like we probably could have taken our notes nonstop throughout watching this and still missed half the movie. We're going to cover this mostly just quoting lines because you don't go 30 seconds without a massive joke and we're going to miss everything. So forgive us in advance for whatever we miss. Um, But I remember when I did watch it sort of, you know, in and out of sleep uh, about six months ago, I think I commented last week that the production values of this movie are fantastic. Like this does not look like a low budget 1980 comedy uh, it's, it feels like a big movie. The story flows really well. And interestingly enough, the, the movie is not an original screenplay, uh, not completely because it is based on uh, an old film called zero hour, you know, a black and white straight drama about an airplane disaster. When you look up the plot for zero hour, it is almost scene for scene. What happens here minus all the jokes. So imagine a straight version of this, that was zero hour. And for whatever reason, you know, the filmmakers, which there are three directors on this movie, uh, Jim Abrams, David and Jerry Zucker. And uh, they had previously written a movie called the Kentucky fried movie, which was an anthology film. Again, I've never seen it, but familiar with it or have heard of it where it was just, Short segments, all these little films thrown into one. And Airplane was, I guess, originally supposed to be just a segment, whether it was in the Kentucky Fried movie or whatever they wanted their follow-up to be or their directorial debut, which this would become. And they just had so much material. They're like, all right, let's just make the entire movie this Airplane movie. Uh, But it's parodying the disaster movies of the time, particularly the airport movies, which were very big in the 70s. Uh, And I I think even aside from all the jokes that just every single joke, almost every joke lands in this movie, there's 
one character in particular that I just feel like is painful to watch. Uh, but uh, the story, I think, works really well. Like, I found myself invested in the story of Ted and Elaine and then invested in, you know, oh, what's going to happen? They don't have any pilots. Like, the story works really well. Or maybe I'm completely alone that I actually appreciate the story as much as I do the comedy. I think it's got enough of a story that moves the story along. Like, I, I didn't. I think you might have mentioned it last week that you didn't realize it had a story. Um, and because, I mean, this is the thing with any anybody who's watched these type of movies, like you're not watching this for the story. <laughs> you're watching it for the, the parodies. You're watching it for the jokes. You're watching it for things like that because this is what I like about these type of movies is when all of a sudden you recognize it's ripping off another movie. Like, oh, ha, 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 you know, it's ripping off that and they're doing it most of the time good. I mean, scary movie. Like, again, I mentioned I'm a big fan of that movie. And do you really care about the plot in Scary Movie? It's just, it's you know, it's ripping into <laughs> things like that. Um, interesting, like you mentioned the Kentucky Fried movie. That's got George Lazenby in it, does it not? It does, yeah. I think There's- we mentioned that on our 007 podcast. Yeah, download now via 007. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and I we talked about, um, obviously, last week, Jerry Zucker with Ghost, and, of course, he did Rat Race, but... You know, the people who are also involved in this movie have done some other great movies as well. David Zucker by himself did Basketball, which is one of my favourite movies. Yeah. He also did uh, Scary Movie 3 and 4. They, you know, waned in quality at that point. Um, and then Jim Abrahams did Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part 2, oh. which I I remember seeing bits of the first Hot Shots, but, yeah, it's, again, it's been a very long time. So it's kind of interesting that, yeah, these guys are renowned for this uh, they're renowned for the Naked Gun movies. They're renowned for the Kentucky Fried movie. And then separately, they've each got at least one movie uh, that is, you mm-hmm. know, quite renowned. And <laughs> and Jerry Zucker's is Ghost of all things. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, one thing actually I just really want to quickly point out as well, um, because I, for one, always knew this movie as Flying High because in Australia yeah. and New Zealand, this was actually called Flying High, not Airplane. And I've actually just looked this up uh, because I, I didn't know why. It was called this because it's not it's not like one of those ones where say fifty percent in the world it's called one thing, fifty percent it's called another. Like this was legitimate. I was wondering. I'm like, yeah. Did you not call them airplanes there? <laughs> no, we called them little things that fly really high. <laughs> Basically, it came down to um, there were delays in a film. Uh, an unrelated film called Airplane that was delayed and released later in Australia, um, which was the Concorde Airport 79. Uh, and then mm. they apparently called that Airport 80 in Australia. Yeah. So then apparently Australian distributors thought, well, having a movie called Airport 80 and then Airplane would be too confusing. So they therefore changed it to Flying High. So apparently we're dumb. Uh, that's what they're saying. Uh, but I've actually found a very interesting article here because this isn't the only case of it. The other really famous one that I know of, of course, and I think you're aware of this one too, uh, The Mighty Ducks is actually called Champions in Australia. Well, at yeah. least it was at release. I believe they have fixed that now and it is now called The Mighty Ducks in Australia. But I have I have a VHS copy somewhere at home, which is literally I'd have to take a picture of it. It's called Champions. So I forever knew The Mighty Ducks movie as Champions. Um, and other ones like that, like 13 Going on 30 in Australia is called Suddenly 30. Um, mm-hmm. Fever Pitch in Australia is called The Perfect Catch. Um, like so many different things that have that – it's interesting that they do that with movies. I think even like Die Hard 4 is called like Live Free or Die Hard in this part of the world, whereas like for us it was called Die Hard 4.0. Uh, yeah. So random things like that, uh, which, yeah, so this movie to me – 
flying high, but yeah, airplane is the correct one. Australians are dumb. Suspiciously, the movie Australia in Australia was called Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they decided on that. It's called The Land Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> Mate. <laughs> it's called Crikey. It's Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. No, that, that is an odd thing. And I remember you mentioning that last week. And as I'm watching this movie and doing some research on it, I keep seeing it come up as alternatively known as Flying High. I'm like, <laughs> why? Why is airplane a term you can't use there? Um, but the airport movies, too, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, I, I remember my mom was a big fan of those. Uh, I got into z- disaster movies because of movies like Twister and The Day After Tomorrow. And my mom would always say, OK, you really got to watch The Towering Inferno. You really got to watch The Poseidon Adventure. And I remember her always saying she loved the airport movies. So I had seen those. And even though I don't think that this really parodies that directly, I think that's the big difference one of the reasons I like this movie as opposed to the scary movies, because you mentioned the scary movies. The only one of the scary movies that I actually somewhat enjoyed was the third one huh. that uh, really um, who, who which one of these was it one of the Zuckers or was it a- Jim Abrams who directed uh, it? It was uh, the the Zuckers, one of the Zuckers. Um, <laughs> it was David yeah. Zucker. That was the Charlie Sheen one, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think the reason I like that was because I grew up on the Naked Gun and the Hot Shots movies, particularly Hot Shots, which is to me still I would hold that the the comedy in that over airport even though I think airport is probably a better film um but the scary movies for me the first two it it just it was too much of a direct parody and it was like they ran out of material and what I liked in scary movie three was that they incorporated other stuff like signs into it and and bringing in Leslie Nielsen and Charlie Sheen who are of course in Naked Gun and Hot Shots movies but what I appreciate about this movie is that they they could have gone the route of what this genre would eventually become. Even if you include Hot Shots in that, it is a direct parody of Top Gun. Every scene is parodying something from Top Gun. This, it's not even like they're directly parodying the airport movies. So I think I rewatched those a couple of years ago, and there's very few scenes in this other than I think the sick girl on the airplane. There's very few scenes that are direct parodies of that or even the whole disaster or airplane disaster genre. I like that they just took an an existing script and said, let's turn this into a comedy. And I think that's one of the things that makes it stand out because it feels a little bit more original than just what you'd get from the scary movies or Top Gun or anything else. Maybe a little bit more Naked Gun-like. We're like, let's take a genre and just make our own original movie around it. Which is a good point because I think what we saw in the 2000s is we did get a resurgence of these parody films and they just kind of went too far. I mean, you had like epic movie and disaster movie and like each of those films had – a scene or two which was funny but then they just went too far out of the way and they just became a bit dumb and mm. yeah like it's kind of you got some sense of some plot and a main one that you're actually parroting because that was a problem with those movies they just they just didn't know what they wanted to parody you know what i mean like yeah it's yeah. called disaster movie let's parody the disaster films but then you start parroting charlie and the chocolate factory well that's not a that's not a disaster <laughs> movie like it's kind of it's it's weird whereas i mean I think I don't I don't think I've seen Scary Movie 3 as much as I've seen the first two. Like I used to watch the first Scary Movie like every week nearly in the second one. I lo- I love the Wayne Brothers. I'm a big fan of theirs. But um but yeah, like it's kind of it's interesting that once the Wayans decided not to be involved in it anymore, they pass it across to Azaka, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um but 
Yeah, like it's it's kind of interesting that you mentioned about disaster films because we've talked about that when we did End of the World Month and I'm a huge disaster film fan and I think my dad did exactly the same thing. I think he was like, oh, if you like these movies, you know, you've got to watch Towering Inferno, you've got to watch Poseidon Adventure. And I remember watching, mm-hmm. I remember watching Towering Inferno not really liking it. And, again, I was young. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I was much more of a, ah, these are old movies, Dad, they're shit. <laughs> like, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's just my thing straight away. Like, ah, this is, look how crap this looks compared to what, we, what we're used to today. You know, let's put on Volcano instead. So um, maybe I need to go back and, and watch those films. But um, it's it's really interesting how you kind of go through periods of, like, movies at a high. I wonder if we're ever going to get the parody movie come back because I think it was a movie... Movie 43 wasn't really a parody movie as such. I mean, it had a bit of that to it, but that was so critically panned that I don't know if that destroyed it. I mean, all those disaster movies and epic movies were destroyed at the box office and the critics mm. alike. But I, for one, really like Movie 43. I just admit that on air. <laughs> I saw that at the movies and I laughed, but I've got a dumb sense of humor. never so. seen it. It's like but I, it's, it's one of these ones where I can see why people hate it. But if you've literally been able to get Hugh Jackman and Kate Winslet in a skit where Hugh Jackman has testicles on his chin, I say all the props <laughs> to the creators of that movie because that's fucking hilarious. I, I love that you're like, it's not really a parody. So Hugh Jackman has testicles on his chin. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there is it's just one of those movies where it's kind of like, how the hell did they get these A-listers? to do this. Like, it has got one of the biggest star-studded casts you will ever see in a movie. Hugh Jackman literally is in a skit where he has testicles on his chin and it's basically this whole thing of, like, he's going on a blind date with Kate Winslet and he's acting like nothing's wrong and Kate Winslet's basically, like, going, um, you've got testicles on your chin. And he's like, yeah, so? <laughs> it's just like a blind... It's terribly bad but hilarious at the same time. <laughs> Uh, what's terribly good and hilarious at the same time is Airplane, which yes. uh, we should probably jump into. Now, I just want to say- Shirley, you can't be we serious. Divide- <laughs> Stop calling me Shirley. Uh, <laughs> oh, we how, who would have thought we would have that joke on the episode? Uh, what is interesting about this is that uh, when we decided we would watch this, as I said, I probably a day or two later saw it was on Amazon Prime and turned it on thinking like, is it even possible to host an episode on Airplane? Uh, and- I wasn't scared off from it, but then rewatching it yesterday, same thing. I'm like, uh, could this be our quickest episode ever, or are we just going to be going over every single line in this movie? Uh, so this could be a challenge when we divide it up who's taking what this month. Um, I think I, I landed on airplane. I'm like, all right, I'll accept that as a challenge. So let's see how this goes. Uh, but the movie starts with the Jaws theme, uh, which one of the things I find interesting about this movie in general is those in jokes they have that are directly parodying something, whether it be the little girl from airport or the Jaws theme here. And those things maybe hold up because people remember it. And then there's other jokes in this movie that I had to Google what the point of the jokes were because I wasn't getting it. And you realize it, it's in reference to something that maybe people got in 1980, but they wouldn't get now. And I think that's the biggest problem with those other parodies you mentioned is that they're so directly parodying movies or pop culture of the time that it doesn't hold up as well versus this which i think 90 percent of it are just hilarious jokes and it's not so much pop culture references or anything but jaws would be one of them how lucky they are that people remember jaws because at the time this came out in 1980 jaws was only five years old i mean 
what was a movie that came out five years ago, like The Force Awakens? <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't that far removed from Jaws at this point. And, you know, still the whole Jaws opening works with the plane instead of the shark fin. Uh, we have all the opening stuff at the airport, which I would love to go back and actually write out all of the dialogue between this whole red zone, white zone thing, because I think it was so in the background at the beginning that I didn't even get yeah. that was a joke until we we're five minutes into the movie as all these people are pulling up to the airport and it's like no stopping in the red zone, no stopping in the white zone, which trivia, apparently this is a real uh, voiceover that they have at the Los Angeles airport or, or some airport somewhere. And it is a male and female voice and they got the same voices from those airports to do this voiceover here. But the when it clearly becomes a joke is when I think you hear the female voice since the previous time you heard it's like no stopping in the white zone. And the next time it's like, just admit it. You want me to have an abortion. And then the male voice on the, for the red zone is like, well, it seems like the only sensible thing to do. <laughs> just, the, if background jokes can really land like that and you're doing something right. Uh, we're introduced to all the main characters or the majority of them right away. The two leads in this movie, Ted and Elaine. Now, it's funny that so many of these actors have gone on to bigger things. The cast was primarily made up of, I guess, actors from the past. You know, Leslie Nielsen was a big star dramatically in the 50s. Lloyd Bridges was a television star in the 60s. He had like, you know, some underwater sequest type show. Robert Stack was huge deal from the, the Untouchables TV series. So you have all these classic movie actors and a lot of them had done movies like this. I think Robert Stack played a pilot in... um the High and the Mighty, which was a John Wayne aviation movie. Uh, and then you have these two leads who are the younger actors who it's kind of strange to look at because I, I think that they're hilarious in this movie. Like they're arguably maybe the two funniest people in this movie, even considering you got Leslie Nielsen, Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack. And really neither of them gone on to do much. Um, Robert Hayes, who plays Ted, uh, he did Airplane 2, the sequel. <laughs> he played Bob Seaver in Homeward Bound, The Incredible oh. Journey. Uh, and he was in superhero movie. Uh, I think parodying this character because his character's name was Blaine Riker and as opposed to Ted Stryker. Uh, and the the actress who plays the um, the Elaine character, she was the, the only story. thing I know her from on here. Oh, that's right. She was a marriage story. Okay. Was she so the, she, played the, was the, she the mom of, yeah, of Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, oh, there mom. we go. Okay. Yeah. But going through everything else on here, I mean, she was in Freddy Got Fingered. I don't know who she was playing. The only movie where I can place her from was What About Bob, this great Richard Dreyfuss, Bill Murray comedy from the early 90s where she played Richard Dreyfuss's wife. She was funny in that. But like, how did these two not go on to do more? Like this movie feels like it was geared towards let's launch these two comedic talents. Mm. And then all these older actors come in and steal the show. And you got Leslie Nielsen becoming one of the biggest comedy actors out there. And Lloyd Bridges, same thing. And. Robert Stack would go on to do, um, you know, a, a very famous TV show, which we'll mention when he comes up. But uh, they that will get on stage. But I love these two. Uh, and I, I love the way that they they play their scenes because their scenes are so sappy. And half the time it's not jokes. It's just how funny it is that they're they're parodying this melodrama of like the 50s and 60s, you know, with him being this beaten down man is like, please come back, Elaine. It's like, no, I just can't. anymore. just the style of acting makes me laugh. Uh, <clears throat> The, uh, the the pilot in this movie, Peter Graves, who would uh, go on after this to have a career revival 
uh, by hosting A&E's biography series. Uh, but at this point, he was most well known for the television series Mission Impossible, which made my top 50 TV shows list. Uh, he played the character Jim Phelps, who is the series lead, who John Voight's character in the original Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie was him playing that same character. Peter Graves is the pilot. Again, hilarious in this movie, having never done comedy before. I don't know how they were able to talk these actors into it. Uh, and get them to deliver these hilarious performances. Uh, but we get introduced to him standing at the newsstand in the whacking material section that's actually labeled whacking material <laughs> as he opens up the magazine Modern Sperm. And that's masturbation, Colin. <laughs> I, I get that part. Okay. Uh, it, it wasn't mowing a lawn. Uh, I got that from the Modern <laughs> Sperm magazine. <laughs> Not all of this goes over my head. Some of it definitely did. Uh, but then he he gets on the phone. Uh, There's kind of a funny moment where he he's paged to take a call and they specifically say on the white phone and he picks up the red phone and you hear somebody say, on the white phone, you idiot or something <laughs> like that. So he switches phones and it's like, I'm connecting you with the mail clinic. And they literally cut to a guy <laughs> sitting behind a desk with jars of mail behind him. <laughs> and there's a beating heart that is jumping up and down on his desk. Like, again, it's so over the top. It's great. Um, uh, and they're basically saying there's a little girl who needs a heart transplant. She's going to be on your flight or whatever. Uh, and somebody named something ham calls him like, you know, J let's say John ham, John ham is calling him. Uh, and it's like, John ham is on line three. And he says, give me ham on five, hold the mayo. <laughs> uh, Ted is trying to follow Elaine in there, but she says it's over between them. She's a, a flight attendant. Uh, he has a flashback. He can't fly because of his time in the war. Uh, he ends up getting uh, a ticket on the flight, even though he's afraid of flying. They ask him smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> he says smoking. They hand him a ticket that just smokes for the entire movie. <laughs> uh, he has all of his flashbacks again. Um, as the pilot, uh, Peter Graves and his co-pilot, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Why not? Who's playing, <laughs> I guess, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in this movie. I find Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a movie star to be interesting because I guess this is coming off of or maybe they're casting him in direct response to O.J. Simpson, who has had a role in The Towering Inferno. Uh, so let's put a big athlete in this movie. But he had done a movie prior to this. He was in um, Game of Death, the, which was supposed to be Bruce Lee's. I almost called him Bruce Willis again. What is my problem with Bruce Lee's <laughs> Often name? get confused. Uh, <laughs> but Bruce Lee's final film, Game of Death, was a movie he was writing, directing, producing, starring in, and he had filmed a third of the movie. He basically filmed the entire last half hour of the movie, which is all the fight scenes. And he just decided instead of casting actors, he wanted to cast people that he taught, like apprentices of his. And for whatever reason, Bruce Lee at some point connected with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 70s and taught him kung fu. Uh, so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was cast in Game of Death almost just because he's like, I need somebody big to be the final boss and you're the biggest guy I know and you know Kung Fu. So let's put you in the movie. The movie didn't even come out till five years after Bruce Lee's death. And it was like a chopped together film afterwards. But I guess it became a big deal of him being an actor. And they're like, you know, he can fight on film. Let's see if he can tell jokes. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is not playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, as that's a running joke in this movie that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is posing as Roger Murdoch or something like that. Um, he's the co-pilot and there's kind of a fun little scene, just background stuff's really great in this movie where, uh, as they're getting ready for their pre-flight takeoff, you have the guy who's cleaning the windshield with the windshield <laughs> whopper, he windshield whopper wiper, uh, 
he's lifting the hood of the plane and checking the, the dipstick <laughs> for the oil. He ends up falling. Um, we get introduced to a bunch of the, the passengers on the plane. We'll go through a lot of the jokes as they come up. Um, there's the little boy who's reading Nun's Life magazine as the nun is reading Boy's Life magazine. I like that the Nun's Life magazine has a picture of a nun surfing on the front cover and the boy's just like, wow. I'm glad, I'm glad they made that a nun, uh, not a priest. That wouldn't have held up well, that joke, if a priest is oh, re- yeah. reading there, Boy's Life. <laughs> Cancel that. Cancel it. Cancel it. Not appropriate yeah, in 2020. Uh, but we have the the one scene that I remember watching as a kid, uh, and I probably have other scenes that just you know maybe I, I remember seeing this in the background as my mom was watching the movie. But because it's a more famous scene, now my memory is just seeing that on commercials or on you know uh, the, the top ten comedies AFI list or whatever. But the the scene where it's showing Ted and the Lane meeting in the CD bar, I remembered like every moment of this as I was watching it. Uh, maybe because it was the only scene that was appropriate enough for kids to watch. So my mom showed it to me. Uh, but he's talking about the, the the deadliest bar or whatever where he's overseas in, in the, the army. And, of course, you have all these tough-looking guys. And he's saying fights were breaking out every single night. And none of these tough guys are getting the fight. You get two girl guides who <laughs> <laughs> break out into a fight, start smashing glass over each other's heads, throwing each other in the air. Um, Ted and Elaine see each other. Staying Alive by the Bee Gees plays, which the timeline's a little bit messed up on this because this is when he's in Vietnam. But the song, I guess, at the time this movie came out was only three years old. Uh, but still, it's, you know, uh, it's fun to hear Staying Alive in a movie as they have a dance sequence. And maybe to me, the hardest I laughed in this entire movie was as Elaine was dancing and before she even meets Ted. And there's an old man who's dancing <laughs> with her and he gets stabbed in the back. <laughs> And he keeps trying to, like, grab the knife out of his back. And Elaine thinks this is a dance. So she's imitating his <laughs> movements. Of like, no, my back. Oh, oh. And she's doing that part of the dance. I was just, like, almost in tears laughing so hard. Uh, they have uh, a dance sequence which involves lots of intentionally bad wire gigs where you can see <laughs> they're the flying wires. through the air. You literally can see the wires. And I think that's part of the joke. Um when Ted starts juggling as he's doing his dance, it's good. Uh, there, there's back on the the airplane. There's a couple more pile uh, the the passengers who are introduced. Uh, my favorite. <laughs> Here's a joke that we know is going to get canceled out eventually, but appreciate what you can. <laughs> the little girl. Uh, yes. <laughs> you get the little boy. And they're dressed like old people. They got like suits on and everything. Hello, ma'am. Would you mind if I sat next to you? By all means, take the seat. And they're having like this very adult conversation. And he, I just, I thought I'd bring you a coffee. Oh, okay. Would you like cream, ma'am? It's like, no, I take mine black. Just like I like my men. What makes <laughs> and the boy just gives him this look. Well, I was going to say what makes that scene so much better is the look like but not just the guy but yeah. the girl too like i love her look where she's like she sips a coffee she's like 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 i like my men and then just the deadpan <laughs> response and like i love how this is set up when she comes on the plane and the kids like reading like i don't know stockbroker weekly or something like that and they're so proper these kids are great actors they're so good but i just yeah. the look on his face when he just sees it i like my coffee <laughs> black like i like my men <laughs> This is the thing, like, this. we're not going to do this movie justice because it's just joke a minute. But, like, the the inappropriate, how can we live in a world where 
freaking 40 towers gets pulled from air because they're making fun of the Nazis. Yet for some reason, this movie has jokes about pedophilia. Uh, we've got like a little girl saying she likes to have sex with black men. We've literally got two. You've got an airplane, an airplane dressed like a Jewish man yes. for Jewish airlines. You have two black people who basically are speaking a foreign language in jive, which is essentially yeah. like, and yet this is never brought up as an inappropriate film. We should cancel this in 2020. Because it's it's a parody. It's meant to, and you can tell by the performances that all these people are getting the joke. Like if if these two the, the jive talk guys who are sub to which is great. Like they're some of the other passages at Juice here. I had no way of writing down what they were saying because no. it was going too fast. <laughs> but essentially, they're talking jive talk, and the captions are coming up as very eloquent and sophisticated <laughs> for whatever they're saying but nobody else can understand it. You know, these guys are so into it. You know that they love this joke. So like appreciate this movie for the fact that the cast really got the humor. And, the- uh, and these kids, the kids are a perfect example because I'm sure they had got parents permission to have this five-year-old girl say, I take my coffee black, just like I like my men. But like, she's, it almost seems like she gets the joke, yeah. which is kind of what's which, funny about and it. And let's be honest, like, this is a whole other tangent, this whole other episode. I mean, there's lots of problems with the way you're doing things now because this is a thing with comedy. Like, it's it's not, you know, like, people can take it for what it is. It's a joke. It's not directly just sitting there going, oh, we're going to deliberately offend Nazis by doing a funny walk. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, anyway. But uh, another one here, too, that this wouldn't hold up well, and you know I'm going to laugh at this, but I love the bit where you see the sign and it's like, no smoking, fasten seatbelts. And underneath it, it's got, yeah. like, Spanish, no smoking. El Noa, you smoko. Fasten seatbelts. Yeah, exactly. Put on the seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's a parody. It's supposed to be stupid. Um, I'm trying to think any of these other passages. We're going to get introduced to a lot of them. W- one of the things that I really don't get is the husband and wife. And I had to Google the joke as they're going out offering uh, the passengers their meals. Uh, or I think they're just offering coffee at that point. And the husband says, oh, yeah, I'll have a second cup. And you get this really <laughs> dramatic look on the wife's face. She's like, he never has a second cup at home. And I'm like, I don't get this at all. Because they repeat this joke over and over again. Apparently... That is uh, a, a series of commercials from the 70s that completely lost on today. So, right. you know, uh, but but uh, I, I think I read a trivia. Uh, I'm not going to pull all the trivia up now because I read so much trivia on this this morning that this actress was the actress who was in those commercials, uh. Uh, those coffee commercials. And the filmmakers had no idea. They just wanted to cast somebody like that woman. And they cast her not even realizing that she had done these commercials. But I'm sure that joke like really landed in 1980. Um yeah, they have the little boy who uh, – the, the same couple who they take up to the cockpit. Now, here is the most inappropriate joke in the movie that I did not get. I, I, would, I would argue that when I watched it six months ago, maybe I was in a half-asleep state. I, I think everybody has seen that line about, you know, have you ever been in a cockpit before? No, I've never been in a plane before. And it's like, if, what, what is his line, his, his exact have line? You he has it's like, uh, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought for years hearing that joke that it was just a dumb throwaway line, like as if he's not paying attention to him or something. But clearly, as the scene progresses, you realize this man is a pedophile (laughs) (laughs) and something about I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not mocking pedophilia in any way. But the scene is kind of funny in the way it plays out, because he's saying it's like, have you ever seen a grown man naked? And then the kid keeps trying to talk with the other people. And the same pilot, Peter Graves, just keeps saying it's like. Have you ever hung around a gymnasium before, Billy? <laughs> and then he's like, Billy, 
you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> it keeps going and going, and it's something about it's really funny. I'm sorry, you know. Let, let, let's keep this joke in here because you know that's gonna be one of the first things they cancel in this movie. Um, quick flashback as Ted's telling his story to all the pastors. Now this is a running gag. I'll just cover all of it right here in the movie. Running gag in the movie is. And while he's still just a passenger on the plane, he keeps telling the, the background of him and Elaine. And this is why I like the, the back and forth cutting. You know, the, it shows them the from here to eternity. If anybody I think everybody is familiar yeah. with at least the image of the man and woman rolling around on the beach with the waves hitting them. Obviously parodying the movie from here to eternity, which won best picture like in the 50s. Uh, but they have seaweed all over them. And in one of the shots, there's like fish that are gasping for air next to their heads. Like, I love you, Ted. I love you, Elaine. Uh, but every passenger that he's telling the story to is just getting progressively more and more bored by him. The old lady they cut to him as he continues to tell the story. She's hung herself. <laughs> she's committed suicide. Um, you have another guy who uh, is a, a Japanese soldier. Just the idea that it's a Japanese soldier in his military uniform who, as Ted's continuing to tell the story, he stabs himself in the chest with a sword, takes his own life. The final gag as they finally are bringing Ted into the cockpit later on is this guy who starts drenching himself in gasoline and lights a match and is about to set himself on fire. He got excited. Like, can you please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, this will be the funniest part of the whole movie. Uh, but uh, no, he doesn't set himself on fire because Ted eventually leaves. Um, let's just quickly cover what happens in the plot here. Uh, when they're in the hospital, you find out why he is afraid of flying uh, because he went on this mission and uh, he says six out of his... Uh, squadron or whatever didn't come back alive and Elaine break into him says seven actually you know uh, George Zip died uh, here in the hospital and meanwhile he's doing a painting of like a very violent painting of a Vietnam soldier with a machine gun holding a baby upside down which again totally inappropriate but that's the style of this movie and then you see that there's actually a guy posing with a baby for this uh, shot here um, and as they're serving dinner they are asking people, do you want fish or do you want the steak? And that's going to come up later on as uh, all the people start getting sick. And I guess final flashback scene to uh, cover here. Uh, as they're in the Peace Corps, uh, Ted and Elaine, years earlier, this is where it starts to uh, break break down between them. Um, he is uh, playing basketball or teaching them basketball. <laughs> she, you think, is like teaching them. It's like we were teaching the locals how to survive, you know, or whatever. And she's like, now, it's very important that you store your food for the, the scene. And then you see she's basically giving a Tupperware party. Like, now, this Tupperware <laughs> comes from only $9.99. <laughs> um, one other note I had here, which uh, we definitely uh, got to cover, though, is the the little girl who's dying who the one flight attendant asks to borrow the nun's guitar. It's like, I'm going to go cheer this little girl up. And she starts singing like this folky song. And everybody on the plane is getting into it and clapping as she's, you know, uh, belting her heart out. And then she swings her guitar, knocks the IV out of the little girl. The little girl's face starts sucking in on itself <laughs> as she's slowly dying. As everybody's like, yeah, and she's just singing along. Just hilarious stuff here. Uh, so much in this movie. I'm sure I missed the majority of it, but uh, great start to the movie. I don't know if I have anything really to say on the story, but just some of the other little like jokes i love like yeah the the bit you're talking about at the beginning with the dub over the airport yeah i it took me a while to catch on to that that was like a little joke sort of back and forth and it reminds me uh in wrongfully accused one of my favorite jokes is when they're in the hospital and you hear in the background at one point the hospital pa is like dr carter dr clooney dr benton you know come collect your massive residual yeah. <laughs> checks for your episodes or something like that like directly ripping into er at that point so yeah it's, it's sometimes like these movies where they just have little things like that which again are very relevant at the time which you know 40 years later aren't really going to hold up that well 
I do love the airport. <laughs> You've got these people constantly going like, hello, would you like to donate to the Fellowship of Religious Freedom? And oh, yeah. <laughs> just fucking having hundreds. These the two monks who are like, no, thank you. We gave it the office. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, that guy on the runway who's like got the, the lightsaber wands and some guy comes up to him and is like, oh, which way do I put this? Oh, over there. And then like the plane crashes into the airport, basically. <laughs> um, just random little things like that, which is so funny. I do. Yeah, I love this whole style between the, the two main people with Ted and Elaine, how it is kind of just like a 40s freaking because, um, like, yeah. I at one point I'm thinking, like, he, he's talking about the war, and I'm like, is he talking about Vietnam? But then it's kind of like oh, this style about it that's meant to be like World War Two. So, like, about 10 minutes in, I'm like, okay, this clearly is meant to be just like a, a joke that makes no sense because, like, it just, I don't know if the timeline for this war thing really does make sense. So I just kind of ignored it after a while. Um, I also love that couple that are getting on the plane and they're treating it like it's a train, like, going away from the station. <laughs> like, I'll write to you every day. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Here, take my watch. I don't need it. Remember my face. <laughs> and I also love the first bit where you've got Ted in the lane. And what does Ted, like, turn to the camera and he's like, what a pisser. <laughs> <laughs> Just like so, I don't know why I laugh so much. How did this guy not become a big star? Like seriously, he's brilliant, and so is Elaine. They're both great. Um, and like this is the thing too. Like Leslie Nielsen. I mean, I think you and I are just of that age where we only know him from his comedy. But he was a pretty yeah. big, serious star in like the fifties and sixties, was he not? Like he was a. I mean, he's Canadian, but. Wasn't yeah. he renowned? Like, was he Oscar-nominated? I don't know if he was that far ahead, but he was pretty renowned for being a pretty, you know, an action star or something, wasn't he? Yeah, like, he did He did a lot of war movies. Um, I think the movie he was most well-known for, which is, uh, I think, still considered to be one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, is a movie called Forbidden Planet. Oh, that yeah. was uh, uh, his big breakthrough role where – he played, I guess you could consider him like a villain in that movie. Uh, but it, it, I, I saw that and it was so weird for me to watch a dramatic movie with Leslie Nielsen that I barely got on my way to see anything else. He was even in the, he played the captain in the Poseidon adventure too. So even a couple of years prior to this, you know, he was tied to, um, you know, d- the disaster genre as like a straight man. And it's, it's just bizarre to see him anything else. Even when we covered men with brooms a few uh, months ago, you know, Leslie Nielsen, probably the best thing in that movie still, he's playing it for laughs. But when you see him in a serious scene, you're like, he's actually a really good actor. And I think I read a lot of comments or trivia about this movie that apparently Leslie Nielsen has, had always been like, Hey, I'm actually a comedic guy. Stop putting me in serious roles. So like he was <laughs> born to play this basically. So yeah, it's, I mean, who would, who would that be today? Who's a really like this would be like if I don't know Christoph Waltz all of a sudden. Gosling, yeah. Well, God, he can't do comedy, <laughs> can't do anything. But um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis all of a sudden starts doing slapstick <laughs> comedy. <laughs> I mean, we see it more opposite nowadays, don't we? Like you know, Matthew McConaughey was kind of known for these romantic comedies, and now he's doing like super serious stuff. And I mean, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar, and kind of some of these people now are sort of really doing the opposite. It's rare. I mean, Chris Hemsworth might be. Not that he really did super serious movies, but I mean, I guess kind of he's really doing a lot more comedy roles now, isn't he? And he's a lot more suited to comedy roles. Yeah, he's a he's a good comparison just because they tried to pigeonhole him into being a leading man for so long. And even outside of the like the the first two Thor movies, 
where he had a couple of funny moments here and there, but those movies were way too straight for their own good. And he was getting hired for all these dramatic movies and it's, it's, his career just wasn't working. And suddenly, you know, they throw him in the comedic role. I can't remember whether it was uh, the vacation movie that came first or if it was I think that did come first. It did. Where the yeah, the the, the remake of Vacation, uh, where he had a small role in that movie and stole the entire film. And then I think he was in the Ghostbusters, uh, the all female Ghostbusters movie. And it was the same thing. And people are like. Hey, we're putting him in these tiny roles in comedies and he is stealing every single movie he's in that that is very much like a Leslie Nielsen or a Lloyd Bridges. Let's let's you know try this out because nobody's really seen them do comedy before. And then they're absolutely brilliant at it. I know Jamie appreciates vacation, right? Because of his large. He does. That's what personality. He hated. <laughs> she absolutely hated Chris Hemsworth until she saw that movie. And I kept telling him. Jamie, do you think it has to do with, you know, his lower half at all? <laughs> no, I just thought he was really good in the movie. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And then the recap you know when he's got one, a small uh, penis. Um. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Another person that came to my mind was, is speaking of Ham, John Ham. Yeah. You know, John Ham broke through with Mad Men. And I think it was when he started hosting SNL and everybody on SNL was like, get this guy on every single week. He, like he should be a regular cast member. And suddenly he starts doing all this comedy and people are like, well, John Hamm is better for comedy than he is for dramatic roles. And meanwhile, he was an award winner. Yeah, no, that's very true. It's it's interesting. But yeah, no, Leslie Nielsen, I mean, God, I only knew him for comedy roles. This is I've, I've still not seen him in a dramatic role. So it might be odd for me to, uh, to see that. Um, I do the, the whole bit in the cockpit, like Roger, Roger, what? And it's like oh, over, yeah. over, under, under. <laughs> What's our vector, Victor? <laughs> and what am I like? I I love this whole thing with Kareem Abdul Jabbar, like where the little kid comes in. And it's like, hey, you're Kareem Abdul Jabbar. No, I'm not, kid. My dad says you need to pass more, and that you hug the backcourt, and that you should play defense more. <laughs> and like he just grabs his kid and is like, you tell your dad to shut up. <laughs> and he's actually a good actor. Like, he's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like, I love Space Jam. Don't get me wrong. One of my favorite movies. It made my top 50 movies of all time. Michael Jordan, not going to be winning any Oscars anytime soon. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see LeBron in Space Jam too because LeBron's been in a couple of movies and he's actually not that bad. Um, Whereas, yeah, Michael Jordan, sorry, I love the man, but no, acting not in his skill sets. Um, Even even along those lines with O.J. Simpson, as we mentioned, Mm. You know, he's okay if you watch him in like the Towering Inferno, but when he got cast in the Naked Gun movies, yeah, he's really funny in those. But I would say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is funnier in this small role here than O.J. Simpson is in the entire Naked Gun trilogy. One of my random favorite moments in this movie is when they do this folk song and like you've just got all the cheesy grins like Elaine comes around the corner. like "Ah!" And then I love it when they cut to the (laughs) cockpit and you've got like the two like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, Captain Overlack singing. And you've got the random guy in the background who just turns to the camera and gives this really awkwardly cheesy. He's, <laughs> He's one of my favourite characters in this movie, just like the random favourite characters. My favourite random character in the movie is yet to come. But, um... Yeah, I love the bar sequence and I, I love it when he's like doing the narration and he's like, oh, it was terrible. There were fights breaking out. It was worse in Detroit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what does he say to the guy? Like he's in this Navy uniform at the bar and he like he turns to the guy and says something, you know, like, oh, I don't know what he says. And then that guy looks at him as if he's like, ooh, I'm moving away from you. You're yeah, trying to pick it's, me it's- up. 
Yeah, exactly. It was like an unintentionally homoerotic comment. <laughs> yeah. And I also love just like the over the top dancing sequence. Like, yeah, like you're saying, like he does the juggling. I love it when he like throws a lane up in the air and he just kind of stops and then he just starts like doing the <laughs> yeah. pointed up to the sky. This is where it's so funny. There's, um, I'm trying to think of a parody movie where there's a similar scene where there's just like random over the top dancing, which like really, really works. And it's, I mean, you you said you didn't remember it, but Hot Shots did this. Okay. Uh, there's the scene where uh, the the two lead characters is parodying, you know, Tom Cruise riding his motorcycle down the the jet runway. That might be, uh, it. and you have Charlie Sheen riding his motorcycle while following a girl who's riding a horse, and the girl starts doing all these tricks on the horse, <laughs> like standing up, and then Charlie Sheen standing on his motorcycle, like throwing his arms, dancing in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, we need to do more. We may we maybe we should do parody movie month, and we can do like hot oh, shots. We should. We may, have, we may have an opening coming up. Scary soon. movie. <laughs> Uh, and then we can choose like one of those really dumb like disaster movie or something like that. Um, but I also love, uh, I think I'm jumping ahead here. Maybe I think this might be in the scene when they're in uh, the flashback with Africa. But like my probably the funniest like constant gag that I just don't know why I laugh at so much is when it's like, it's like, and this is where I developed a drinking problem. <laughs> just oh, yeah. <laughs> But he literally can't drink. He like throws it on his face. Yeah. And then they, they follow through with that through the rest of the movie. Every time he's trying to take a sip of something, he just throws it on his face. He literally has a drinking problem. I don't know why that's so funny, but like this is what makes this movie so funny. It's just it literally has the most obvious jokes. Like these are dad jokes almost, but they're just hilarious. Like the whole bit where it's like, um, oh, we're taking to the hospital. A hospital? What is it? Or something like that. It's a large building yeah. where they take people to see, but it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like these absolute perfect setups with just the most obviously like cheesy joke, but they are so funny. <laughs> like, I don't know why I laugh so much at it. I like the Africa flashback scene when he's like, yes, Tupperware. Oh, and I taught them to get this game of basketball. I hope they got the hang of it. <laughs> Like <laughs> slam dunking and like you know basically Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skill levels in the background, um, and yeah the whole <laughs> you ever seen a grown man naked before? <laughs> it's so wrong. And I miss. Have you ever been in a Turkish prison? <laughs> How like again maybe it does come to the point that this is deliberately a parody movie, but I mean. You are literally cancelling Faulty Towers. You are literally cancelling yeah. Little Britain. Paw Patrol. they're banning a cop from Paul. What is this world? Like Chris <laughs> Lilly shows. Like these shows that are, oh, they're inappropriate because they're doing this. Well, there's a reason. Like that's a parody of these things. <laughs> and like you've literally got a movie basically implied this, this pilot wants to see this little boy naked. <laughs> Which is hilarious. I don't know why we're laughing at it, but um, <laughs> oh, this cancel the Oz Network. Can we dare you? Uh, cancel Noah. Like this has been a week since we basically called Noah a racist, <laughs> and everything in the last week has gone to hell in a high basket. I mean, how is the Oz Network not being cancelled after Noah's disgusting comments? Oh, <laughs> worlds apart. Oh, disgusting. That's why he's not on this show. We said this last week. We took him away. We uh, draw the line at racism. We <laughs> we, we definitely do. Um, 
Uh, the, yeah, I think kind of everything I've covered there, but just just that drinking gag is so funny. But like, I love how like <laughs> you looked up the whole bit when it's like he's never wanted a second cup of coffee before dinner. Like, I didn't even think that this was something. I just thought this was just one of those cheesy moments which they just think is funny. And I actually randomly found that funny. But now it makes it even more funny knowing that it's actually a deliberate <laughs> joke. Like, I legitimately was like, that's just random, but it's hilarious. And also, um. When they're in the flashback in the war hospital and they're like, that person doesn't know what they're thinking. And that person thinks he's and it's like some, I don't know who she is. I'm guessing that's the actual. Merman, yeah. yeah. I'm guessing that's the actual person they're meant to be parroting. But like, that's like hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, so trivia. Um, apparently, that was I, I don't know. I think Ethel Merman. I just know the name because it's one of those names they throw it on. Whose line is it anyway? But apparently, she was a big star, and this was her final film role, playing herself <laughs> in Airplane. I love it. This is what I love about parody movies: is when they're able to get like the original actors. One of my favorite moments in the first scary movie is when um, the the two main characters are like doing this love scene. He like sneaks through a window, and then like they start playing the Dawson Creek's theme, and you hear like that. How do I live without? Yeah. And you see James Vanderbeek is about to climb through the window and he goes, oh, looks at the wind- uh, The camera's like, oh, sorry, wrong set. <laughs> and he just keeps on walking past. <laughs> like just random things like that that are just kind of real blink and you miss it moments. Um, yeah, hilarious. But, I mean, this movie, like the, you, I think you mentioned it last week that it's kind of just like an 80-minute, like it goes by very quickly. And it really does because literally every scene is a joke and it's, hilarious like there's not maybe one or two jokes that you kind of like uh, but like for the most part everything is just hilariously brilliant in this movie and it just it just flows so quickly and so funny and there's still so much good stuff to come like when we haven't even gotten to leslie nielsen we're just about to get to him now right we're only about halfway yeah. into the movie uh throwing out there a couple of the other cameos in here uh so the nun is played by maureen mcgovern who did the theme? She was a singer who did the theme songs for both the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno, and actually had a role in the Poseidon Adventure uh, as a singer. Uh, and Barbara Billingsley plays the jive lady, so the <laughs> elderly white lady who knows how to speak jive, who translates and then gets in a fight with these guys, who played the mom on Leave It to Beaver. So <laughs> I can imagine these things again. The idea of this nun is hilarious. The idea of this old lady speaking jive is hilarious. But then imagine you're in 1980 and you recognize these people. It's going to be even bigger. So I get why this movie was well, such a big deal in 1980. And I'm guessing they're kind of like, yeah, getting like the real like straight laced, you know, family person to kind of play out a character. It's yeah. like um, on the Dave Chappelle show when he got Wayne Brady on that famous like, is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch sketch? Because like, you know, Wayne Brady's like this straight laced family comic, you know, who doesn't ever say mm-hmm. anything inappropriate. So they get him to like be this. I think he was like a pimp basically, and he's just, like, saying these really inappropriate things. And I think Wayne Brady even came out afterwards and was like, yeah, I really shouldn't have done that. That kind of goes against my values. But I think a lot of people appreciated, like, Wayne Brady just being this absolute douche, basically, to people. It's like, I know you hate Natalie Portman, but it's kind of like how when they got her on SNL and she did the Natalie Portman raps, kind of, you know, playing against this sweet Natalie Portman, basically just doing all these, oh, they're hilarious. I don't care what you say. Natalie Portman rapping a gangster rap is brilliant um speaking of brilliant we're about to get introduced to leslie nielsen who had the biggest career out of this movie now again he was a decent moderate sized star you know if you were to take your big name trio here of the uh, older actors leslie nielsen 
Peter Graves, Lloyd, Lloyd Bridges. Peter Graves and Lloyd Bridges were big television stars. Leslie Nielsen was a movie star once upon a time uh, and still was getting some decent sized roles. So for him to be in this movie, it, it almost feels appropriate. Whereas with Peter Graves and Lloyd Bridges, they just sort of throw them out there. Leslie Nielsen gets like the big introduction. You don't even see his character until they're looking for a doctor. And then it's like, I'm a doctor or whatever. Uh, and this opening scene, though, that he has with the, the first lady who's experiencing symptoms I really don't get this joke. Like, again, it's kind of funny, but I'm like, is, is there something I'm missing here where he says, open your mouth, say, ah, and she opens her <laughs> mouth and she just starts spitting out eggs and he's just putting one egg after the other down. And then he breaks one open and a live bird flows out and the lady's just sitting there. It's like, all right, I need to speak to you, miss. As he pulls the steward aside. I, like, I really didn't get the joke. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but like, is there something more to that that I'm missing? I, I don't know. I don't get um, it either, but I just laughed. At the face. She just, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I'm guessing it's great editing that she's literally got like 20 eggs in her mouth. But I mean, yeah, I, I again, I, I, could you, be wrong. If you watch it. Uh, no, I, I was going to say, if you watch it closely, she will start to spit an egg out. And then Leslie Nielsen does like a very elaborate hand in front of her mouth where I think he is slipping eggs out of his sleeve and she just keeps sucking the same egg back into her mouth each uh, time. Uh, if you want, look really closely, it's like almost like a magic trick. But well, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, like, again, I, I could be wrong in thinking that it maybe it is parroting something again. We're not quite of that age. It could have been something hilarious in the 70s that people got this joke and like Mildred was loving it. But um, again, it's, yeah. it's similar to what I was saying about that woman before about the oh, he never has a second cup of coffee. Like, I feel that I don't need to get it to somehow think it's funny because it's just literally a woman spitting out, like, 20 eggs going, like, oh, she must be sick. It's just stupid, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. No, yes. (laughs) I was just saying, it's just stupidity. (laughs) You know, you don't have to get it necessarily. It's like that awkward moment on the Oz Network that you think we would edit out, but we left in. Yes, just like that. <laughs> All right. Do you have a burglar or something in the house? Are you like banging in the background? Are you worried for your safety That's at the moment? Casper ups. Oh, yeah, this Casper. Typical he's, Casper. Well, maybe he's home alone and he's killing some burglars. I don't know. <laughs> the wet uh, Wouldn't be the weirdest thing he's done. With it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Leslie Nielsen tells the the flight attendant. Um, this woman's in bad shape, you know, uh, uh, I need to uh, find out what she had for dinner or whatever. And and uh, I think when, when he goes into the cockpit and you start to see that the other co-pilots and then the navigator or whatever are dropping dead, too. Uh, I love that they're they're uh, on there saying it's like um, t- talking to the passengers. There's nothing to be alarmed about. It's only a little turbulence as they're dragging the dead bodies of the co-pilots <laughs> right past them and nobody's <laughs> noticing. Uh, but when he's saying uh, it's like, what, what was on the menu today? What did everybody eat? And then she's like. Well, uh, people had their choice of fish or steak. And Leslie Nielsen is like, yes, I remember. I had the lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like his delivery is so good. Like it, it's no wonder. It's only two years after this that um, Abrams or Zucker or some combination of the trio here created the TV show Police Squad, which is what the Naked Guns is based on. Now, talk about a success story if we ever cover the Naked Gun movies. They made a TV show two years after Airplane that was a police parody, but only a half hour TV show. The show lasted something like six or eight episodes and was canceled and had a big enough following from six or eight episodes that a few years later they made a huge movie out of it, Naked Gun, which spawned a trilogy, which is just crazy. Uh, But you can see why they picked, of all people in this movie, Leslie Nielsen, just because his delivery is so good. A line like the lasagna line, like as you said, which is almost like just a bad dad joke. Why is this funny? But it is funny. Um, As they're saying, oh, all the people who are getting sick seem to have the fish. And Peter Graves, the pilot, just looks (laughs) down and he sees this fish, an entire (laughs) intact fish skeleton on his plate. (laughs) Um, 
Leslie Nielsen starts saying, well, these are the symptoms you should look for. There's going to be drooling. And Peter Graves starts <laughs> drooling. Uh, muscle spasms. And his arms are like flailing all over the place. Uncontrollable flatulence. And he's a... <laughs> <laughs> and then Peter Graves drops dead. They have no pilot. There's all this uh, turbulence or the plane's going down. They engage the autopilot, which this is one of these things I think everybody has seen before. An inflatable autopilot named Auto. <laughs> Introducing Auto. Uh, Introducing Otto as Otto, uh, which looks like those kids, you know, those blow up uh, things uh, you'd have in a pool. Uh, It's got like the weird smiley face on it. Uh, Otto, the autopilot, who's just an inflatable man who's driving the plane. Uh, We get introduced to Lloyd Bridges here finally. uh, He's the the guy on the ground who has to figure out how we're going to get this plane down. He's, again, so over the top and so funny. Uh, The the running gag they have with him where first like, I guess I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. And then he's like, I guess I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. I guess I picked the wrong week to quit quit amphetamines. And then the last one, I guess I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. (laughs) Sniffing glue. Um, He just just nails this. And again, it's funny. If you read some of the trivia, they – didn't have the easiest time, I think, particularly with Peter Graves and Robert Stack getting them to do this movie. Whereas maybe with Lloyd Bridges and Leslie Nielsen, I'm like, yeah, I'm all for that. Um, but nobody had really done something like this before. Like movies like this didn't exist. The Kentucky Fried movie is probably the only example of a movie like this existing prior. And that was a bunch of little short films and it wasn't like a massive hit or anything. So you try to convince these you know dignified actors can you do this movie and you show them the script i mean they're not going to get it and one of the things they had to do with these older actors was tell them listen we're not asking you to be funny we're asking you to play this straight the jokes will be funny just because you're playing it straight and i think lloyd bridges is the uh, real exception to that because he seems to immediately know i am in a comedy film and his performance doesn't feel the same as those other older actors like he feels like he gets the joke and we're eventually going to get him again in the hot shots movies where he plays uh, the the president where he plays the admiral in the hot shots one and the president in the second one and, and talk about a guy who could just nail every single one liner like one of uh my favorite hot shots moments ever is uh, where he uh, he's on like the big uh, aircraft carrier and his hat flies off and he's like, oh, I dropped my hat. And it's like swing the boat around. We'll pick it up. Like, but sir, we're on an aircraft carrier. It's not that easy. And it's like uh, and we're going to be at sea for days. All right. Put uh, some men in a boat and have them circle around it until we can come back and pick them up. And it's like, but sir, we could be gone for days. Then put some food in the boat. Do I have to think of everything? <laughs> <laughs> and then another one where he's uh, in the president, the next one, and he falls off the airplane and then he picks himself up and they're like, Mr. President, somebody says to him and he goes, no, you're not. I've seen him on TV. He's an older man about my height. I wouldn't go around calling myself the president. I don't think you should either. <laughs> he's just so funny. Uh, we, I just want to do Lloyd Bridges uh, Oz here. And the father, of course, of Jeff Bridges and Bo Bridges to a lesser extent. Aw, um, poor Bo Bridges. Why? Are we Bo Bo Burgess fans? I mean, I like him in Jerry Maguire. I mean, Um, (laughs) sure. He's got a nice (laughs) last name. You know, we we, we went through this with Dennis Quaid, too. This is completely off topic here. Dennis Quaid. Uh, If you look up Lloyd Bridges, like young Lloyd Bridges, not a bad looking guy, you know. Uh, young Jeff Bridges, not a bad looking guy. You look up young Bo Bridges and you feel like, did you get the Randy Quaid jeans or something? Like, what is it with these famous families where one guy just draws the short straw? Like, I feel bad. What, <laughs> Seriously, what, Bo Bridges. Um, he's, I know he's in lots of things. It's a dumb thing to say, but um, what do I know him best from? I'm just looking at Bo Bridges? Him. Lloyd Bridges? Bo, Bo Bridges. Um, 
Well, I mean, I know he he played a father of Jerry O'Connell and Jerry Maguire. Um, Free Willy Escape he... from Pirates Cove. Uh, <laughs> was that Free Willy 7 or 8? Which one was that? Uh, that might be the Bindi Irwin one. Uh, why do we always end up going back to Free Willy? Um, no, there's definitely, <laughs> like, I, like, again, I know he's in shitloads of things, but I'm just looking here. He was he... in something that I know him. Homeland. He was vice president. There we go. I knew he was in something recently. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Well, he did a movie called The Wizard, which was basically a commercial for Nintendo with Fred Savage that I remember liking as a kid. Uh, he also played the brother of Jeff Bridges in The Fabulous Baker Boys, which is probably his most famous movie. But yeah, I mean, he's he's the Randy Quaid of the family, let's be it's honest. Not that, I mean, he's uh, not exactly as Randy Quaid. True, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some women find Bo Bridges attractive. but uh, um, Is he married? We, do we know? Well, I don't know. I'm sure he has at <laughs> least <laughs> once in his life. No, I don't know. Just... <laughs> This is this is just going to become our our new Amanda Pete here. It's like Bo Bridges. You don't even have anything to do with this movie. Bo but seriously, Bridges why wife. are you a thing? He's married to Wendy Trace Bridges since 1984. There you go. Oh, happily married. And was married once before uh, that to somebody else for 20 years prior to that. So twice. <laughs> You've twice found a woman. Good job. They've got a daughter. They've got a daughter called Emily Bridges. And she, oh God, she's got in his face. Moving on. <laughs> Kind of scary, actually. <laughs> that was like such an authentic reaction. <laughs> She's got a daughter named Emily. Oh God, she got his face. <laughs> like, usually, like I can look past that, but no. Um, yeah, well, you know the the Sheen family. You know, there's one exception. You know, Martin Sheen. Uh, oh, she did get his face. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, you know, they're all, you know, decent guys. But oh, yeah, this- decent. <laughs> Emilio Estevez is up there in the category of Brendan Fraser and Tobey Maguire. You wash your mouth out. You leave Gordon Bombay out of that. <laughs> That's a man, Colin Hilding. <laughs> Not like Bo Bridges <laughs> or Emily Bridges. Or Amanda Pete. If, uh, if I'm, on, if I'm like, looking at, if I've got two people in front of me and I have to choose which one I'm going to have sex with and it's Emilio Estevez or Amanda Pete, I'm going with Emilio Estevez. <laughs> What about Bo Bridges or Amanda Pete? Bo Bridges. <laughs> what about Emily Bridges or Amanda Pete? Emily Bridges. <laughs> We're so mean. We're so sorry. We're going to be cancelled. I don't think Amanda Pete is in any choice of that conversation. <laughs> like you, you know, give give me someone else. Like I don't know, Noah or Amanda Pete. <laughs> Um, so back to airplane, <laughs> Peter Graves drops dead. Uh, at this point, he's, um, I think out of the cockpit or, oh no, sorry. New scene coming up. We got the autopilot who kicks in there again. Yeah. Um, the plane starts dropping drastically. Uh, it's like as Elaine's now the co-pilot, you know, communicating with the ground. We're at 35,000 feet. No, 34,000. No, 33,000. You realize the plane's slowly dropping. Because they're losing altitude, autopilot starts deflating. <laughs> so here's the joke that I did not get until. Never. Uh, you still don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> until Ben told me what this joke was before we started the episode. So <laughs> I do remember seeing this as a kid. I remember my mom laughing and I'm like, what's funny about this? Why is that thing smiling? I just didn't get it. <laughs> uh, but as the inflatable autopilot is deflating, it's like, you're going to need to find a valve around his waistband. And she literally starts blowing him. Uh, so Colin, uh, that's called a blowjob. 
Jamie might have to explain it to you one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she will <laughs> with great enthusiasm. Uh, what? Really? But, uh... It's been 10 years. <laughs> Finally, get your pants off. Can we watch vacation at the same time? <laughs> But as the, the auto gets blown up, I love how he starts getting more and more air in him. And then you look and he has a giant smile on his face and he turns and just looks at the camera. <laughs> um, when the plane's going down, uh, I think there's the other uh, uh, flight attendant starts calling Leslie and he's like, we got to get the doctor up here. It's like, doctor. And you see he's in the middle of giving a woman a gynecological <laughs> exam in the middle of the airplane. <laughs> so that joke you get. What? <laughs> yes, I got that one. <laughs> Um. Uh, yeah, Peter Graves is gone now too. So there's no pilots. Uh, they say, "Does anybody here know how to fly?" Uh, I, I love that moment too. Is they, they you know, say, uh, "Everything is fine. This is your flight attendant. We're all doing okay." By the way, does anybody know how to fly? And everybody starts <laughs> panicking, chaos. You get one random nude woman who just jumps in front of the camera and Best bounces her movie. boobs around. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You, yeah, I figured that would be your favorite part. I thought it was going to be a profile pic. Um, have you seen my profile nun- pic that I've changed? I haven't. You know, right now you're just showing up as B.E. for Ben. It's not oh, showing a profile oh, what? pic. This is my Hugh Jackman with testicles is my profile picture. Something's wrong with your oh. Skype. Oh. <laughs> the picture. I'll, <laughs> I'm sure I'll have an, an Emily Bridges reaction when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks um, just like him. <laughs> so during the chaos and all the passengers panicking, you get the nun choking the monk, which is great. Uh, they say they need to bring in Rex something or other, which is Robert Stack's character. Now, Robert Stack, I know we talked about this during our top 50 movies and TV shows episode where I had in my top 10 a show called Unsolved Mysteries, which I think you said you kind of knew about it, but wasn't really a thing maybe in Australia. He, huge deal here throughout the late 80s, throughout all the 90s. I mean, it was still on the air in like the mid 2000s. Basically, an hour-long show that does cases that are considered unsolved mysteries. So it could be anything. You have one that's on alien abduction. Then your next case is just going to be a real true crime story about you know a murder. And then you're going to have one on a missing person. Another one, uh, you know, on uh, somebody who's abducted. And it was it was the creepiest show you've ever seen. Like there was the music was creepy. Robert Stack was the host of this, and just his voice. Join us for another episode. Like he's got an incredible voice. But I mean, he was a big star from the Untouchable show prior to this. But then after this. I mean, he will forever be known as the Unsolved Mysteries guy. And I, now I think time is airing like a week away from the new Unsolved Mysteries without him airing on Netflix. I just wanted to quickly add here that, um, yeah, I think I'd mentioned I'd heard of it, but I probably also mentioned this too on that episode when you were talking about it. In Basketball, they kind of do a little parody of Unsolved Mystery where they actually get Robert right. Stack yeah. to do like a thing talking about uh, Coop and that going missing. So, um, yeah. yeah, like that. I think that's where I best knew him from. And then when I realized <laughs> that this was a parody of an actual show, then I might have looked it up or something like that. But um, oh, we got to do Basketball one day. That movie's brilliant. Oh, absolutely. And another thing about um, uh, the Robert Stack is that before I think I had ever seen this movie, uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead was on. And I remember my brother and I used to record Beavis and Butthead every single day. And the, when the Beavis and Butthead movie came out, Robert Stack had a role in that. And I remember at the time being so caught off guard. Like, why is Robert Stack doing something funny? But again, he like Leslie Nielsen, and Lloyd Bridges, he was famous for this at this point. So him being in Beavis and Butthead do America wasn't that unusual. But I just remember uh, an interview with him where he was on Conan O'Brien and he was talking about 
being in Beavis and Butthead to America. And he said he literally had no idea what Beavis and Butthead was. He just agreed to do the movie. He read his lines and never saw the movie, which is just hilarious. <laughs> Robert Stack was in a movie and didn't know. Because I think the other there was another actor that was uh, I think it was Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, who did the voice of uh, the computer Jarvis in the mm. Iron Man movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's his face in um, he- Solo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Master and Commander. I'm famous as actor, Master and Commander, and A Knight's Tale, Wimbledon, and Beautiful Mind. Random movie I like. Wimbledon, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, when he did the voice in Iron Man, he didn't. He forgot he was in the movie because he never watched it. So it was a couple of years later where somebody asked him about being in the Marvel series, and he goes, "No, I don't think I would ever be in a Marvel movie." And somebody's like, "You were in several <laughs> Marvel movies." He's like, "What? Which ones?" And they're like, "Iron Man. You did the voice." And he goes, Oh, that's right. I did do that. <laughs> Literally asked never when LAD Undercover tweets us and goes, hey, remember that joke you yeah, said in the just- movie? What? Like, what was the one this week? <laughs> Naked Darth Vader theory? I'm like, what? We I talked know. about that? Yeah. We- <laughs> it's great when we do these episodes, especially when it's the Star Wars ones, yeah. <laughs> uh, where we we recorded those like six months in advance, and now it is six months since they've come out, and we're getting tweets daily. Oh, this part where you guys said this, and we're just like... <laughs> Man, there we go again. <laughs> Comedic <Hot> geniuses. <laughs> oh, you got to hear the behind-the-scenes story about that joke. <laughs> we love you. Is it LAD undercover or LAD undercover? You're great. Thank you very much. Yeah. But, again, that took us 50 so hours to record, though. I don't even remember talking about Anakin at any point. <laughs> did we talk about Anakin? I'm sure we did. I think I blocked out half of the Star Wars movies at this point. Yeah. <laughs> did we do Force Awakens? R- Rise of Skywalker happened, and I think we've blacked out Star Wars forever now. <laughs> But every once in a while, we do get a tweet where we're like, oh, I forgot about that. That was really funny. I'm going to say wooden desk monkey fucker and somebody's going to tweet me in eight months going, <laughs> Ben, that's the funniest thing you've ever said. And I'm going to go, I said wooden desk monkey fucker? What? Okay. I'm hilarious, apparently. <laughs> uh, let's not get that trending. <laughs> I literally am looking gonna- at a wooden desk and for some reason I'm thinking about having sex with monkeys. That's how I came to that. Don't ask me anything else. That's just the only thing I could think of. So, Lad Undercover, when you listen to this episode in six months' time, I want you to tweet me with simply wooden desk monkey fucker. That's all it needs to say. And I will go, what? And then I'll probably eventually get it one day. Um, I'll put it on the best of just so I remember it. Wooden desk monkey fucker. I really want this to Eight months from now, I want this to happen. Not tomorrow. If anybody's listening to this episode the same week it comes out, do not tweet us at all. You need to hold off for eight months and then remind us of this all is, the hilarity. This is how Renee Russo month happened. I just literally thought of yeah. the first actress <laughs> that came to my mind who was random. It was Renee Russo, okay? Now we're celebrating her for the queen she is. Somehow I've just come up with wooden desk monkey fucker and it's become a thing. We're going to get T-shirts made that say wooden desk monkey fucker. Probably not appropriate to wear, but hey, why not? I mean, we debated a Noah needs a date shirt, so it's not, well, that's be that not much a debate. Of a that's, a, that's an actual shirt. We're gonna get a picture of little Noah's last cheesy week, grin. <laughs> last week, I suggested making a shirt that just said "murderer" for people to wear. Okay, it's not gonna be the most outrageous can, thing. Can, We're gonna merchandise. Can we please, like, no, let's be honest, like Noah, we love you. You're great, but like Noah. He's, he's looking fantastic now. He's lost weight. He's fit. He runs freaking half marathons. A guy's a machine. Good on you. But Noah was like me. He, at one point, 
had a little bit of extra baggage. He was a little bit bigger than he is now. And I've got pictures of him and I where we're both slightly bigger than we are now. And I want to get like Noah's head when he's a little bit chubby with a big smile on his face. <laughs> Say, Noah, can I get a date? I will wear that T-shirt. I will wear it every day. I want that T-shirt. Look, I will make the T-shirt to sell, even if it's just so that you buy it. <laughs> because I think our T-shirt store is in my name right now in my account. So <laughs> Done. Uh, so back to Airplane. <laughs> uh, this is also where we get the famous line um, where they're saying, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Which I think that this would have gotten a much bigger laugh from me if I hadn't heard it a million times prior to this. Yeah. I think they even released the special edition DVD of this you know, on the 20th anniversary or 30th anniversary, and they called it the Don't Call Me Shirley edition. Uh, so maybe the joke's lost a little bit now, but I mean, it's what the movie's most well-known for, like easily the most well-known joke in this whole movie. Um so Robert Stack is being brought in to uh, try to talk Ted down because they need Ted to – I don't even think Ted's part of it. See, that's the other weird thing is that Ted doesn't even get brought into the cockpit at this point. They just need Robert Stack's character who happens to be his old commanding officer. Uh, when Robert Stack gets to the airport, um, you have all the, the religious people asking one by one, would you donate to? And he just starts kneeing them in the gut, <laughs> punch him in the face. It's actually a really good stunt fight too, which by the way, Robert Stack did his own stunts for that, even though he's what, 50, 60 years old. It looks really good, but it's actually funny because of how good and how realistic he makes these hits look. He's like headbutting people and kicking them in the balls and <laughs> you know uh, suplexing them <laughs> just one after the other. It's so intense. Um, What else do we have here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that we got the lady who's freaking out at one point. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. And there's a funny trivia story behind this. This is another one of the best parts of the movie where the stewardess starts shaking her violently. It's like, come on, come on, snap out of it. He's slapping her across the face. And Leslie says, it's all right, let me handle this. And he, you think he's going to talk her down? He literally starts doing the same thing, shaking her violently, slapping her. And then you have him trade off with another person. You have a whole lineup of everybody on the airplane who are slapping this woman and taking their turns, shaking her. And each person has different weapons. You got baseball bats. You got a mace at one point. <laughs> you got guns. Um, and uh, uh, Robert Stack, when he shows up, another one of the, the, the small moments that just had me almost in tears laughing is where he comes in all intense and he's introducing himself to Lloyd Bridges. And he's got like the big aviator glasses on. Yeah. And he does the dramatic whip the sunglasses off and he's got a second pair underneath. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think Ted is, yeah, at this point, Ted has been brought into the cockpit, uh, cause he's the only one who has any uh, experience flying a plane. Uh, and Robert Stack is trying, we need you to talk delicately to him or something like that. He's like, it's okay, Ted, you're doing fine. He's like, this is a complete waste of time. He's going to kill them all. And he's got the radio <laughs> on and Ted and Elaine listen to him just go on and on about how useless he is as a pilot and everything. And he comes back on not realizing, like, you're doing a great job, Ted. Just keep up the good work. <laughs> Uh, we get Leslie Nielsen trying to calm the passengers, saying, everything is fine. We're going to be okay. It's The pilot's got a complete out of control as his nose just grows like Pinocchio. Yeah. We This is where we have the jive-talking guys who stop being subtitled. And then the old lady, the mom from Leave it to Beaver, saying, I speak jive. And she comes in and starts communicating jive-talk with them. Uh, really bizarre joke here. Somebody's wife, I don't know if this is supposed to be Lloyd Bridges' wife or Robert Stack's wife or something Leslie Nielsen's wife I don't know uh, Otto's wife but they get her on the phone because she needs to come to the airport or something like that and 
she's just like, okay, I'll be there right away. She turns on the light. You see the horse lying in bed with her. It's me. It's like, Let yourself out the back door. <laughs> <laughs> that's had me. sex with a horse. Yeah, that's me. That's that good looking <laughs> horse, horse from the freaking Ewok movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a sexy horse. Where would this horse rank on the scale of sexy horses, Ben? Um, uh, look, not as good looking as that one in the Ewok movie, but definitely better looking than Amanda Peet. <laughs> like, easily. Um, uh, it's miles ahead of Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, Anyways, I thought that so, was Sarah Jessica Parker. I thought that was her first movie role. <laughs> I legitimately, hey, this, there it's, she is. <laughs> this is the wife in bed with Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> uh, there's another one of these bad dad jokes that just, again, almost had me in tears where uh, they're they're estimating where the plane's at. And they appear to be miles off course. How could it be possible? They have instruments. And you cut the cockpit <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen, Ted Delane are playing like trombones and trumpets. <laughs> it is so bad, but it's hilarious. Uh, there's another little part here where uh, you got the guy off. He's drinking from a flask, offering the old lady. It's like whiskey, ma'am. Like, I certainly will not. And then she pulls out some cocaine. He starts <laughs> <laughs> Um. Anyways, uh, now we get the scene which is going to set up the climax of the movie. After Ted walks out because he just can't handle the pressure, uh, Leslie Nielsen, completely at random, talking about you know I was in the army once. I was in the medical service or whatever. And he talks about treating this George Zip or whatever, which you realize was the guy that Ted was kicking himself for. The whole reason behind his phobia of flying because this guy in his squadron died. Leslie Nielsen had served with him, and he's like basically saying there was no way anybody could have made it out of there. And Leslie Nielsen doesn't even realize what he's doing. If this were not a comedy, this would actually play as a really good dramatic scene. Like I love the heroic moment he gets after this. Uh, bit of trivia here. When Leslie Nielsen – uh, mentions that he was, uh, you know, treating this George Zipper, whatever. The flashback scene that they had when they were in the hospital, uh, the Ethel Merman scene. Apparently, there's a voiceover in the hospital paging Leslie Nielsen's character, so it, proving that he was actually there earlier in the movie. Huh. Little detail that you, you know, would get on multiple viewings or whatever. Um, <clears throat> uh, do I, do I have anything else here? Should we cut there? Yeah, we'll just we'll just cut it there. Uh, we'll leave the climax coming up. One thing I really like when you first meet Leslie Nielsen's character is like when they're like, is there a doctor on board? And he's like, yes, I'm a doctor. And he's just literally sitting there with a stethoscope around his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, that's how old doctors fly. Again, did we not talk about this recently in one of the disaster movies that like knowing our luck, we're going to be on a plane crash or something. There's not going to be a doctor. There's not going to be freaking Matthew Fox to make us live on an island. Like we're going to get stuck with the worst bunch of passengers ever. We're going to get stuck with podcast hosts. Yeah, we're going to get like Amanda Pete. Yeah. And Bo Bridges, JD, Bo Bridges, yeah, <laughs> his daughter. Um, yeah, I don't know if I like because I, I think I chimed in a lot with my comments throughout this. Um, you know, throughout all this, I I know this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but I the the Leslie Nielsen bit when he like keeps coming into the cockpit and he's like, just want to let you know that I'm proud of you and I believe you can do this or yeah. whatever it is. Like, yeah, that's coming up. <laughs> like, I didn't get that at first, but then, of course, he keeps doing it like 400 times and then it's hilarious. Um, I like it, yeah, when he's going through all the symptoms and then the captain's kind of like losing control. They put the seatbelt thing on and it's like, 
rows one to thirteen seatbelt, and the other one is like no sex or whatever in the other ones. Um, yeah, <laughs> you've got random like when you're seeing the plane shaking and you've got the jelly and you literally have the woman's boobs bouncing. Like okay, yeah. Um, I also love that they keep cutting to that woman putting a makeup on. And it's kind of just like going all over her face. And she ends up leaving the play mm-hmm. with all this makeup. Oh. Yeah, and trivia fact, that was the Zucker's mom oh. who played that role. I was gonna say that. Um but maybe my She f- looks just like them. Maybe my favorite random character in the whole movie is when we're like in the control tower in Chicago and you've got that like overly exuberant, flamboyant man in the background who just keeps coming in and dropping like silly one-liners. Like what Okay, are- that's your random favorite character? I love that guy. That guy's hilarious. <laughs> All right. That's the one character I said which I could not stand in this movie. Uh, so let's talk about him for a second now. Now, here's the thing. His lines are funny, like, but apparently the actor um was a friend of theirs they'd worked on a Kentucky Fried movie with. Uh and he improvised. He's the only actor who improvised every line of dialogue he has in this movie. But to me, he just sticks out like a sore thumb because no other character in this movie is playing it for laughs. And everything he's saying, his character is trying to be funny. So it just it didn't fit to me. It feels like he's in a, he's in a different movie when you've got Leslie Nielsen and, you know, Ted and Elaine and Lloyd Bridges and everybody who are delivering their lines straight. And that's what makes it funny. And he comes in here and as the plane's crashing, it's like, NTM, it's a twister, it's a twister. <laughs> ah! And he's actually try to like if this were a different movie maybe it makes sense but it just to me it doesn't make sense to have him dropping all these ridiculous one-liners actually trying to be funny in a movie where the characters are not supposed to be trying to be funny i could definitely see that and i definitely understand what you're saying but i maybe i just like the dumb humor because this is that moment when it's like what do you make of this and he's like i can make it a hat i can make it a brooch i can make it a pterodactyl Yeah, again, like it would be funny if it wasn't this movie, I feel like. Oh, I don't know. For some reason, I just find it hilarious. I love that guy. Sorry. Um, this is the first time we've been ever not agreed on the random character that we like. That's that's unusual. I think so, yeah. Um, I also love it when they go to get this other woman. Is this the horsewoman? No, it's when they get... Um, What's his face? The unexplained mysteries guy. And they send the airline guy over to his house and he's just getting attacked by a dog. Um, is that... John Oliver, I swear that's John yeah. Oliver. Um, <laughs> but then I also love it when they're randomly in the car and they're like driving and they've just got the over-the-top green screen car thing in the background where he's like, he runs over a bike rider and then they've just deliberately made it so he's just like literally driving left, right, left, right, left, right, and then the background's just like basically spinning out of control. Um the autopilot thing, like getting blown up, yeah, that, that's like up there with the surely you can't be serious line and the have you ever yeah. seen a grown man naked? Like this is always shown. Um, and I like it afterwards how they're both having a cigarette. Um, like the, <laughs> one thing we haven't mentioned at all is the, the ongoing joke with the guy in the taxi back at the airport. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ted was his driver, yeah. He's like waiting and I love it like in the post credit scene when he's like, I'll give him 10 more <laughs> minutes. <laughs> but that's it, yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I don't know what else I've uh, got to add. Uh, the whole slapping the, you know, like, I can't control. Like, that's kind of, like, that's funny, like, over the top because he's always one of those people in these movies, isn't there? Like, we're going to die, we're going to die. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know if I've got anything else to add. I think kind of I added. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love the pterodactyl guy. It's hilarious. Uh, and the boobs. The boobs I actually, is great. 
Oh, I I was surprised you didn't speak up on that a little bit more. But, oh, and uh, also in the in the control tower bit too, when like at one point like they're they're panicking and that guy's got like a chicken, uh, like sitting in the uh, oh, yeah. thing, and also like the press when they yeah. come in and they they've got the microphones in front of the guy that you don't like, and some guys holding like up an ice cream to him instead of a microphone. Yeah, um, and I, I love all the press, like I love all the newspaper. Uh, headlines and that sort of stuff, like the way they overdo it with the press. And I love it when they cut to the TV crews and it's like, crisis, this plane will not land. They're all going to die. And then they, like, cut. Again, this is not holding up well in 2020, but they, like, cut to some, like, Asian news cast and it's got, like, a painting in the background and then you've got, like, somewhere in, like, the Pacific Islands and a guy's, like, banging the drums and basically there's, like, a wood carving of a plane crashing in the background. Um, And I also love that random bit with the flight attendant where She's like, I'm 26, and I'm, you know, I've never been married. And they're like, Leslie, listen, it's okay. Yeah. You will be fine. And then somebody else comes in, and it's like, oh, I can't believe we're going to die, but it's okay. I'm married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a husband or something. And also the flashbacks of um, uh, the pilot guy when he's like remembering all the flying, and it just randomly cuts to like shots of like the Wright brothers landing planes <laughs> and kind of like just. <laughs> Random little things. And the thing that I love too, like we've got the storyline, right? Basic storyline. Everyone's dying from all this, you know, fish poisoning and all that sort of stuff. But for some reason this leads to literally the plane's engines blowing up and the plane basically going to crash. There's no logic behind this plane basically breaking down at this point, but they've just added it to make it more tense. And, again, we often would nitpick a storyline like this. We did it with Ghost last week. We do it with every single movie we do. But when it comes to a parody movie, that's kind of the point that the plot doesn't make yeah. sense and that this plane is crashing for literally no reason than other people got food poisoning from fish. Um, <laughs> and also, is there a moment too when they cut back to the control tower and there's like two people playing video games instead? Yeah. And there's a guy who's unloading a washing machine yes. on the console, like his laundry. <laughs> and I don't. And what's that line? Like, I, I do love that bit where it's like, you know, the instruments. That was definitely one I, I laughed at. But yeah. there's a bit where somebody says a line about something like, oh, we've got to get something on the runway. And you see a truck dumping a bunch of lamps on the runway. Oh, yeah. So we need every light poured out onto that field. Oh, they said light. And then they just dump a bunch of lamps. Okay. Yeah. I didn't hear yeah, what they light. said. And also I love that subtle little moment when the plane's flying over Chicago and they're like, you see a radio station and it's like, welcome to WZAZ. We play disco all the time forever. And then like the plane takes out the radio station. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck you, disco. Oh, it's funny. And more trivia with that WZAZ radio station. The the ZAZ is supposed to be for Zucker, Abram, Zucker. Oh. Uh, and I think the, the radio DJ voice is one of those three directors Look in the movie, too. Look at you too. doing the research for once. Good on you, Colin. <laughs> See, I, I figured it's it's either going to be us just quoting one-liners or let's offer something of substance on this episode. I'm telling you now, <laughs> uh, if here's- Noah put in the effort, if Noah showed his work, he might get a date. So that's what Noah can learn from this. <laughs> All right, now stop being racist. Do your research. You'll get a date. Uh, two other little trivia bits here you might find hard to believe. Um, one, the directors wanted David Letterman yeah, to play Ted. I read that. Who wasn't even a talk show host at this point, just a comedian. Uh, but David Letterman, who had no experience acting, was uncomfortable with acting. So they ended up not going with him. And Sigourney Weaver auditioned for the role of Elaine. Huh. Uh, if you actually think of the timeline this movie was made at, I think it would have been filming before. Like, there's no way 
after Alien, Sigourney Weaver's doing this, Alien had come out the year prior. But this movie would have been casted in filming before Alien came out and became such a big deal. So can you imagine if we had had David Letterman and Sigourney Weaver in Airplane? In a weird way, I think that I like – I don't like that idea. I like it better with these two unknowns. And maybe it is because I'm not as familiar with these two actors and anything else that they are so good in this movie. But like I can't imagine anybody else in these two roles. And I've really only watched this movie twice in my life. Did – um. David Letterman was in Beavis and Butthead, wasn't he? That's the only thing I seem to remember that from that movie, that David Letterman had a small role in that movie, yeah. I don't remember. Because I was such a big David Letterman fan. I looked Because I remember, um, oh, like, there was another movie where they got, like, a talk show host in it, and I'm thinking, like, oh, why doesn't David Letterman ever do random things like this? And uh, he was definitely, yeah, he did a voice in that movie. But I think the only other thing I saw David Letterman in, like, a movie, and he's been bringing up one of his top 50 movies of all time, Eddie... Um, I think from memory, there's like a moment where they like make out that Eddie's on David Letterman at one point. So they, David Letterman was in the mm-hmm. movie. So Donald Trump's in that movie from memory, I think. He's in Home Alone 2. Yeah. Uh, they've started to edit out of Home Alone 2, oh. uh, which again, oh, going too far, you're editing out a joke of Donald Trump in Home Alone 2. Come really? on. Uh, uh, it is kind of funny, though, when the, the plane is about to crash, that their in-flight movie is just scenes of plane yeah. crashes. <laughs> uh, when they get up to the control tower, just as they're getting trying to get Ted ready to land the plane, I love the moment, too. Robert Stack, I, I swear, Robert Stack probably has some of the funniest moments of this whole movie. Like, every single time it comes up, I'm like, I, I was crying. I was laughing. When he, you don't even see the guy. It's like, get that finger out of your ear. You don't know where it's been. <laughs> you see a guy just sticking his finger in his ear. And is he, is he the one who um, says the shit will really hit the fan and you see literal shit hitting the fan? Yeah, in the fan, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he had that light. Yeah, get every light, pour it out onto that field right now. And they just see a bunch, <laughs> dump a bunch of lamps uh, as they're trying to get all the planes off the runway. This is where they have the Air Israel, you know, move to uh, uh, gate whatever. And there's a plane that has a beard and the hair that does um, not hold up well. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, and is that the no frills passengers is- when it's like no frills passengers now arriving and they're coming to the baggage carousel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, when the plane is crashing, uh, or I guess before, we'll get to that in a second. Before the plane crashes, I love when they're like, uh, uh, Serge to Robert Stack is like, do you think we should turn the searchlights on now? And he turns like the most serious delivery of any line in this movie. No, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. <laughs> <laughs> His dramatic music plays. Uh, passengers assume your crashed positions. So they all just get into positions yeah. as if they were in the middle of crashing. Uh, Elaine finally says to Ted, I'm proud of you. You know, uh, okay, so their storylines wrapping up. Um, this is where Leslie Nielsen keeps coming in over and over again. Yeah. Like, I've just come to tell you that we're good luck to both you and we're counting on you. And as it's crashing, <laughs> just coming to say good luck to both you and we're counting on you. And then after the plane eventually lands, he comes in. Just wanted to say good luck to both you and we're all counting on you. Uh, Ted pouring sweat as he's crashing yes. progressively each time they cut back to him. He's dripping more and more sweat until it's basically running down his face like a fountain. Uh, I like when the plane is uh, not able to stop because the brakes came out and then inside the terminal, they're like, you know, uh, flight whatever <laughs> at gate number eight. And then it goes zooms past and everybody starts moving gate number nine. And then they cut back later. It's like gate 14, gate 15. Uh, and then finally, when the plane eventually lands, uh, I love the music too in this one. Like, talk about the production values, which are really strong for a comedy in 1980 that was low budget. The score for this movie is great. Like, the, da, 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 da. <laughs> I love that music. 
when Robert Stack gives his big speech to Ted, we're saying that must have been the lousiest landing I've ever seen in the history of this airport. Uh, it's like, but but uh, you know, you're 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 my hero today, or something along those lines. And he just keeps talking as Ted and Elaine leave, and they just keep cutting back to him, where Robert Stack's still on the line, but he's talking to nobody. And one of the times, he's like, loneliness. That's the bottom line. <laughs> I was never happy as a child. What did Christmas mean to you, Ted? To me, it was a living hell. <laughs> Cut back again as all the passengers are getting off the plane. And it comes back to Robert Stack again, talking to nobody. Municipal bonds. I'm talking double A rating. Best investment in America. <laughs> Finally, as everybody's off the plane, Ted and the lane embrace on the, the runway. They look inside the plane and the co-pilot inflates, turns, smiles at them. Uh, a girl pilot inflates next to him. He smiles again, winks. <laughs> and then they lift off at the end of the movie, except for, as you said, the post credit scene that the taxi guy that Ted was driving. I'll give him another 20 minutes. That's it. <laughs> um, I, I love this. Again, even without the comedy, I think that this movie just works so well, even just for the story. But like this whole this whole landing is just like one joke after the other. And it, with the exception of, you know, the, the annoying guy, the tower, the tower, Rapunzel, which, again, it just it doesn't fit. I, I, I felt like there was too much of him in the climax here, but everything else was so great, especially the Leslie Nielsen, and the Robert Stack bits. Yeah, I, I still love the tower guy. I, I The one bit um, with the press, I don't know if that happened earlier or it was this bit too, when they're there and they're doing the interviews, like, right, let's grab some pictures. And then they literally just take the pictures off the wall. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that's so funny. And then where they like go to the phone booth and they just all knock down the phone booth, like, you know, everyone falls down. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a whole lot to add. Just some of the random stuff, like the bit when they show like all the fire engines going to the runway and there's just this like long sh- shot of just these random cars going to the runway, just constantly going. Um, I love that, yeah. That's the most expert sound effect of a uh, fire engine ever. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I've been working on that a lot. Um, the <laughs> When he's landing the plane and like the, the controls of the plane, he's just like literally lifting up and just like, you know, over the top. And doesn't he at one point like pull out like a stick and it's got like wires connected to it or something like that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And... Yeah, again, I, I, when they're coming off the plane and, like, you've just got that flight attendant, thanks for flying Transamerica. Thanks. And they're all just like, oh, like, you know, they've just had this, like, really bad crash. Um, yeah, the pilot bit, the co-pilot bit at the end is kind of funny. I don't understand how a plane can take off after it's just crashed. But, again, this is a parody movie, Ben. It's not meant to make sense. <laughs> um, yeah, they made a sequel to this movie. I'd be interested to see they that. They did. But, um, yeah, this movie's hilarious. So funny story, the sequel um, I watched before I ever saw Airplane. It was just on TV one night. And the reason I watched it is because um, the writer and director uh, is actually from Winnipeg. He's like a Winnipeg filmmaker who years after he had a Hollywood career in like the 80s doing like, you know, Airplane, the sequel and stuff like that. Um, but uh, in the 90s, he sort of came back to work in Canada and he created a TV show, which is like one of the, you know, considered one of the best Canadian shows of all time called The Newsroom. Uh, so I remember, you know, seeing that in maybe one of his other movies and reading that he had directed Airplane to the sequel. So it was on TV one night. I'm like, oh, I'm curious to see this. You know, it's a Winnipeg director or whatever. I don't really remember much other than the opening credits of that movie. But, uh, you know, the, it's kind of strange that the guys who made a career later on of basically 
turning the same joke in one movie into franchises like Hot Shots and Naked Gun and the scary movies that they basically refused to do the sequel, which is unusual. Um, you know, they said they'd used all their airplane gags in one movie. Maybe if they had waited a couple more years, but only two years after this, the sequel comes out literally called Airplane 2, the sequel. And I think they they used more. It was almost like a space shuttle type thing in that movie, if I remember right. I think yeah, it wasn't. I, I know on Facebook every now and then you'll somebody will share a funniest moments from airplane clip and i think one came up the other day where it was like funniest moments from airplane two clip um and from what i've read they're ripping into the science fiction genre a little bit more i think so hmm. yeah but i mean doesn't ted and elaine come back in that one and a couple of other people at they, least yeah i think they're both in it well i mean again we just discovered they haven't really done much else so um makes yeah. sense um so this movie really interesting looking at the box office for the movie because what episode is uh or what day is this episode going out on um is this the 18th uh sure all right so today <laughs> is the 18th of june or somewhere around there today is the uh, atlanta and- falcons <laughs> Uh, but this movie was released in limited release on June 27th. So really only a couple of weeks away from the literal 40th anniversary of this released in limited release in Toronto and Buffalo. Um, Iconic for one movie week markets. before it was released. Well, here's the weird thing is that it was released in seven theaters in Toronto. So this would have basically been a wide release in Toronto, limited release in Buffalo and nowhere else, which I wonder why they chose those two markets a week ahead of time that you basically get seven theaters in Toronto. Uh, but then it eventually comes out July 2nd, um, makes a pretty good opening for the time period, like four and a half million dollars, ends up grossing $83 million on domestic box office. I think this thing's made like, uh, 160, 170 million worldwide or something like that. Uh, it was domestically the fourth highest grossing film of the entire year, 1980. Uh, it was beaten by The Empire Strikes Back, 9 to 5, and Stir Crazy with uh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Um, really interesting if you look at the box office for 1980, because I don't think comedies were a big thing prior to this year. Like this year is sort of, the year that comedies broke through, you know, we said it was alternating between this and Caddyshack. You know, Caddyshack was only moderately successful this year. But if you look at the top 10 highest grossing films of 1980, there are four of these movies that would be considered dramas. And the other six are like outrageous comedies. So nine to five, Stir Crazy, Airplane, Any Which Way You Can, Private Benjamin, Smoking the Bandit 2 and the Blues Brothers all in 1980. So a big comedy year. I've seen that. Private, yes, Private Ben. <laughs> Sorry. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> I seen that movie. <laughs> I mean, I had a brother. <laughs> Goldie Horn. Sure. Yeah. She's an actress. Correct. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, Airplane, you know, fourth highest grossing film of the year. Now, when you consider that it was so low budgeted, the fact that it made that much movie is absolutely insane. Uh, awards, it ends up getting nominated for, um, I can't really find all of them right here, but uh, uh, it got Golden Globe nomination, uh, I think for uh, screenplay. Uh, it was nominated for a BAFTA. Oh, uh, a so BAFTA. It, a BAFTA. Uh, obviously very respected even at the time, but- uh, Being the, nominated by uh, a, for a net BAFTA. Was that a big thing in 1980, was it? Can we, can I mean, we have Golden that as a Globe T-shirt? Was, Not, uh, can we have BAFTA I, I award nominated actor <laughs> T-shirt? Well, because we had that last week with Ghost too, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg won the BAFTA. But uh, I think what's more impressive about this, even getting a Golden Globe nomination for screenplay, is that it is such a ridiculous comedy that for this to even get considered like that's always been the thing with awards they never nominate performances from actors and typically won't even nominate movies that are comedies like this you'll get the odd comedy that gets you know a best picture nomination like the full monty or four weddings and a funeral that are kind of respectable classy comedies but to have like a really outrageous parody comedy get nominated for a screenplay award is insane i think the only time that really ever happened was with uh, blazing saddles and young frankenstein in the 70s uh but the big uh, legacy of this movie is actually for the AFI. So uh, I don't know if this was a thing there, but I think I mentioned on other episodes, the, the American Film Institute did this thing for well over a decade where every single year they would have a giant special where they would count down a list of. It started with the 100 greatest movies ever picked by the AFI. Then they would do ones like 100 most uh, thrilling movies, which would be all thrillers. They did the top 50 heroes and villains. And they did the top 50 comedies, I think, which was like the second or third special they ever did. And Airplane gets number 10 on the list of greatest comedies of all time. Uh, beaten by The Graduate, It Happened One Night, MASH, Blazing Saddles, Duck Soup, Annie Hall, Doctor Strange, Love Tootsie, and Some Like It Hot. This movie beat out other comedies like Young Frankenstein and the Philadelphia Story. Movie like the Philadelphia Story, which I think was nominated and won Academy Awards. Singing in the Rain, it beat out. So obviously the legacy of this movie is, is just gotten bigger and bigger every year that's passed. Um, uh, do we have reviews here? Uh, we do. All right. So this currently has 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, uh, this review here, I don't see who it's from, but it says, though unbashedly juvenile and silly, Airplane is nevertheless an uproarious spoof comedy full of quotable lines and slapstick gags that endure to this day. Obviously, a more recent review. Uh, Roger Ebert said it's sophomoric, obvious, predictable, corny, and quite often very funny. And the reason it's funny is because frequently is it's sophomoric, predictable, corny, etc. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a clever review. And... Uh, Janet Maislin of New York Times said Airplane is more than a pleasant surprise as a remedy for the bloated self-importance of too many other current efforts is just what the docker ordered. If we're kind of add a little bit on the legacy here, I guess we could just say, you know, the 70s, obviously very dark, serious time for movies to the point where Star Wars is credited for picking Rocky, the same thing, Rocky, Star Wars. Those movies were credited for being big because people simply needed a pick me up because everything was so dark and bleak. And a lot of these reviews are saying the same thing even with comedies, you know, when a, a comedy might be considered Kramer versus Kramer in 1979. <laughs> Here in 1980, Airplane is uh, obviously much more appropriate to laugh at. Uh, plot keywords. Uh, I've got a, few I got a good couple ones. Here. All right. You want to give me yours? All right. We have. I like, I've got one I'm going to start off on, though, because I, I, I know Jamie's going to hear this upstairs and. Uh, Decide to educate me. Uh, implied fellatio month oh. coming soon uh, <laughs> with The Hangover, Airplane, Love Actually, and Polar, uh, which I don't know what Polar is. It's a movie with implied fellatio in it uh, in the yeah. snow. Uh, I'm a fan of Wobbling Breast Month. Uh, ah, that was one of my other ones. For it. Flying High, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, Humanoids from the Deep, and Used Cars. There's also... Uh, Reference to Auntie M month we could do. Uh, reference to Barbara, Barbara Stanwyck month. 
um, wrestle to Ethel Merman month, um, <laughs> submachine gun with drum magazine movie month, um, sure, jive movie month we could do, uh, woman wearing a one-piece swimsuit month, which is always a popular one, and my, I think we should do this one, pedophilia month. Featuring oh, I have that one up too. V for Vendetta, great movie, Doctor Sleep, The Green Mile, and Taxi Driver. It sounds really uplifting. Um, Isn't Taxi we'll, we'll Driver literally a movie about a taxi driver and like a 13-year-old girl, and that's number four? Yeah, but but having said that, it's, it's not really pedophilia in the movie. He's more trying to protect her. He never actually physically does anything or even says he wants to do anything with her, so it's maybe a stretch to call it pedophilia. Well, they have American Beauty on here. Um, I mean, you think that would be higher? Yeah, true. Um, um, uh, just, can I just quickly say, you're talking sadly, about the AFI top 100 things. Yeah. Private Benjamin is on that list of after she's. I don't remember <laughs> that being that funny. Um, I'm looking here at, like, 1980 actually had a few movies that year. Uh, Caddyshack 9 to 5 also made that list. But um, also looking at what made that list, like, because that list was released in 2000. So the newest movie on that list was There's Something About Mary. Then you have Fargo, Groundhog Day, Mrs. Doubtfire, City Slickers, When Harry Met Sally. I've never seen that. Is that actually funny? I mean... Isn't that just no, I've never seen it. Meg Ryan moaning? So yeah, well, there's only one funny scene. Billy, uh, what was that? What was that? Like Billy, um, Billy Zane? What? <laughs> Billy Crystal? Billy, thank you. I think there was a Billy in there somewhere. I would have gone blank on Billy <laughs> Crystal's name. Um, Billy Zane needs to do more comedy. Billy Zane, <laughs> funny guy. Come on, think of think of Zoolander. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. He's a cool dude. Come on, it sells itself. Uh. One or two more months we got to add glue sniffing month with oh. airplane 13, Lilia forever and Crooklyn. Uh, <laughs> we could do, oh, I'll save that one for last. Um, <laughs> oh, that is my last one. All right. Ben's favorite bestiality month. Oh, yes. <laughs> Finally. Featuring The Gentleman, a Guy Ritchie film, uh, Grown Ups, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Airplane, also. Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi? Bestiality uh, and Return what? of the Jedi? What? Um, what? <gasps> oh, Jabba the Hutt? I guess. Maybe? What about freaking um, um, Twilight? The whole movie's about her choosing between, you know, a dead guy and an animal. Like, it's, yeah, necrophilia and bestiality movie. Come on. The girl with the dragon tattoo is on here? Definitely not watching that movie. She clearly wants to have sex with the dragon. Uh, All right, so what are we going to do with this movie? I mean, I feel like this is an obvious one, but I'll I'll give you the honors. What are you doing with it? I am going to buy this movie, Colin Hilding. I think this movie was hilarious. And, yeah, I think this is a movie that you could easily rewatch and just put on and have a laugh at. I I think the the hardest point will be, like, is this better than Kindergarten Cop when it comes to rankings? Yeah. Yeah, because when we had... You know, teased the end of, at the end of the last episode, and I had said, you know, I watched this recently. Um, I was mostly talking about how good the story was, and again, watching it six months later, clearly realizing I watched it late at night and probably was asleep through half the movie. I was expecting to come into this thinking, you know, I would rent this movie because to me, it's not Hot Shots, it's not Naked Gun. But now, having watched it, you know, wide awake, I'm totally buying this movie, and yeah, it is going to be a tough call uh, as to what could be the number one for this month because I think this movie's amazing. Uh, I mean, it's ahead of Ghost. We can put that to rest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd probably rank it ahead of Kindergarten Cop. I think that I would rather watch this in Kindergarten awesome. Cop. So, yeah. So the real question is going to be next week because oh. we're going to wrap up anniversary month, which 
I remember, I think it was like two or three years ago, we just started randomly bringing this episode up. And I mentioned that I will watch this movie once a year, if not more. And it's just always been such a guilty pleasure of mine. But this is like, it was not cool to like this movie until about a year or two ago when suddenly career revival of Keanu Reeves and now everybody loves anything Keanu Reeves touched. But for years, this was like, oh, that stupid football movie that Keanu Reeves did, The Replacements. Like, I always absolutely love this movie. Like, I have seen this more times than I could ever even think about counting. Uh, and, and again, like, absolutely everything in it is absolutely hilarious. Such an incredible cast. Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman, uh, Orlando Jones, who's oh, maybe the star of this movie. I love Orlando Jones. Barely done anything after this, but he he steals this movie. John Favreau, uh, Reese Ifans, as we mentioned last week. Yep. Uh, great cast. You know, obviously the plot. If people aren't familiar with it, because it was not a big hit when it came out, it was Keanu Reeves' first big role that he landed post the Matrix, and then it just flopped. But it's loosely based on, I guess, the idea of uh, the NFL had a strike in the '80s, and they ended up finishing the season with replacement players. So this is not based on that in any way other than just a premise. It's the NFL goes on strike and they finish the season with replacement players. And you can imagine like most sports comedies, you know, like major league or mighty ducks, everybody's really good at something and really bad at something else. It is exactly what you expect from just a dumb sports comedy, but so quotable, so great. Absolutely love this movie. I've, I've been looking forward to this. This If I would have made a list of 10 movies that I just wanted to cover, whether we had an excuse to or not, this would have been on my list when we started this Oz Network. Another random person too, and Brett Cullen, who is just one of these yeah. random ones that everyone knows who he is. Like you, you don't know him by name, but as soon as you see his face, it's like, oh, him. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he was in Lost for a while. I mean, he was Apollo in- Apollo 13. Yeah, Apollo 13. The, um, that gymnastic show I used to like, Make It or Break It. <laughs> he was in that. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> I'm not surprised there was a gymnastic show you liked. <laughs> you guessed the reasons why I used to watch that show too. So it was, um, yeah. But look, Orlando Jones, like this, I've, oh, how did this guy not become a bigger thing? Like I just, I just don't get it. Like Evolution is one of my favorite movies. I love Evolution, and just Orlando Jones is, Jones is hilarious. He was in a TV show, was he not, for a while? Um, that I think maybe he got famous off that or something before he. No, uh, well, I. No, uh, I, I, so he got famous. He was on Mad TV. Oh, uh, right, okay. He sort of became famous because he did a series of 7-Up commercials right. where he was just walking on the street and he would say, make 7-Up yours, and other people would take offense because they think he's saying up yours, which sounds like it was just, okay, that's just one joke, but they did a series of commercials and they were, I, I love those commercials. Uh, but he more recently has gotten a lot of success on the TV show American Gods, mm. which is kind of a sci-fi fantasy show. So I'm glad he's had some comeback. But yeah, like how was he not a bigger deal? Because everything that he did, whether it was a small role or a big role, he was just amazing and bedazzled. Yeah, I was going to say bedazzled. bedazzled. I, I love that movie too. Uh, Brendan Fraser, of course, going to love that movie. But I mean, he's still been working. It's not like he's just gone away. Like he clearly still works. Like to me, he's kind of like Chris Catan. Like I love Chris Catan. Like he's hilarious. Corky Romano, one of my random favorite movies and just, um, night at the Roxbury, obviously Saturday night live, the time that I did watch that for a while. Um, and again, he's another one of these ones who's clearly still working. It's not like he's never gone away and retired, but why isn't he a bigger thing? Like, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. These are funny people who are like still the movies they're in, but, uh, yeah. And, I I think we've got our Amanda Peet of next week, Brooke Langdon, the the female star <laughs> of this movie, who she's yeah. gone on to things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's let's say this: she is way more attractive. Like, I, oh, I mean, she's a down. ten physically, but 
acting wise, yeah, she's definitely the weak spot of this movie. She she's definitely uh, more than Amanda Peet. Let's just put it that way. But I mean, yeah. again, she's working still. I'm looking here. She was recently in. The Last Ship, recurring role, five episodes as Lieutenant Maddie ah. Rowlings. So good for her. She actually was in Life. <laughs> I watched that show, actually. I, I don't remember her in Life, but um, that was uh, Damien Lewis's show before he did Homeland. That was a great show. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's a really good show. No. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. So it's going to cap up our anniversary. Um, and uh, we should also, I guess, just say now, people probably already know, Wonder Woman has been delayed again, uh, which in a weird way is working out in our favor because uh, we're going to be able to start it and give it an entire month and not sort of start mid-month uh, once it eventually comes out in October. But also it means we're moving up Renee Russo month, which will follow uh, replacements next week. Yes. Uh, well, I'm not enough, for Renee Russo the replacements... Keanu. Follows a, repl- a replacement month precedes the. Re- yeah, you see what I'm trying to do there. Yep. Wow. <laughs> oh, I, I. You know what? I'm that. I need that quoted eight months from now. Okay. <laughs> by LAD Undercover. Done. Done. <laughs> the replacements for a replacement month. Uh, <laughs> remember it, people, in eight months. <laughs> Uh, but uh, as always, we're going to have other stuff coming up. Uh, we you may or may not have heard some very big interviews that we have going on right now, as well as Total Drama Island. And uh, that's pretty much it. Let's be honest. There's not much else good going on right now, right? No, nothing. Our show shit. Go listen to something else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I will leave the tags for the end of the episode. Um, as always, my name is Colin. And have you ever been in a Turkish prison, Ben? <laughs> And my name is Wooden Desk Monkey Fucker, and I'm going to go look at an old grown man naked. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. 